All right, Chris. Hi, Ben. How you doing? I'm doing okay. It's so nice to see you. I mean, I know we've been talking for about 30 minutes on the ride up, but... Right, in the car, know. about football. About, about, yeah, about football, nothing else. <laughs> how's, uh, how's life? Um, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a little, uh, it's complicated, of course, but um, it's a, uh, I bet that... At that age where you're like, you know, you go like, well, I could live twice as long as I lived, or I could live. So I'm definitely in the uh, the catastrophe, or the, you know, the fourth act, the back nine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, so you know, I could live for 20 years or something like that. But that, you know, that's about all I should do. I now you got 40 or 50. Oh you know. no way! No, no, you don't, no, you don't want it. Uh, well, I don't think. I mean, I have. I was very interesting because we'll um, probably breach this subject or whatever. But I did. I did have some health stuff, and so the health stuff is cut a few years off but mm. probably not too many yeah so uh but um but i i uh i also kind of feel like uh you know it's great to live to be 90 but it's it, it doesn't often always happen so you shouldn't like feel like you're cheated if it, <laughs> like i think of people like you know david bowie is what 72 and you know even you know old lenny cohen was only like 84 so like you don't you don't have to live to be 90. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> so I kind of am like, uh, uh, but, but, but what's weird is that because you have all this whole like mortality things flying around, it makes you think about it. But it also makes you think when you work on pieces of work. And as we'll probably get into, my pieces of work stretch on for many years. So that, Yeah, they live on. They, they live on, but they also drag on so <laughs> so they get they gain they gain that um this better work mm. thing which you, is much you know i think it's great to try to avoid that if you can but um you know because if you work on something for a year and it kind of crashes you're like oh well that sucks okay but the idea that like you work on something for 10 years and it crashes is, is a little scary i mean what's weird is like novelists do this all the time like yeah last book I did and it did, couldn't find a publisher so I'm writing a new one I'm like wow <laughs> so, yeah so some people go through it yeah it happens with bands with records yeah they have a record that doesn't no one really hears it doesn't do well they spent years on it tens of thousands of dollars all those hours and nothing becomes of it but then the next one does or one yeah. three down the line you know it's yeah that's um that's interesting do you find well? I guess for those listening, do you want to maybe say like what you do? Like in sure, your background? sure. Yeah, it's a yeah. It's a, I'm not a household word. Um, the uh, so I'm a, um, I'm a animator, uh, filmmaker, um, and um, I kind of my work kind of exists in in the live action realm too. So like um, I show show my films. Um, you know, in live action festivals, which is actually kind of interesting. It's like, you know, it's always good to show your work in the wrong place. <laughs> but um, but so I, I'm a teacher also. I teach at the Art Institute of Chicago, and I teach animation, and I teach filmmaking. And um, But I my career is kind of weird because I was um, kind of a avant-garde experimental animator but still figurative work, so it's not like, you know, it's it's definitely a lot like you know color on light on a surface or anything like that, um, you know. There's voice and characters and people talking and stuff. But um, I had you know a kind of like academic level of success, you know, in terms of most of my career. And then in the early '90s, 
mid-90s, I guess, I started this film, a feature called Consuming Spirits, and mm-hmm. it dragged on for like for 16 years. So it, um, but it ended up working, not for everyone, but it worked for quite a few people. And so I, it's, it's actually, you know, it's kind of like the most important thing I ever did. I enjoyed that film, by the way. Oh, well, thank you very much. Yeah, I, that's why I wanted you to be my advisor at the Art Institute, because I saw that film. That's very good. Yeah. And so, but it's weird to have kind of your first, like, publicly visible work happen when you're 52, but it, it happens, you know. The people like William Kentridge or um, I'm sure there are other people or, uh, uh, it's, yeah, what can I think of the name? Uh, P.D. James, first novel published when she was 43. Like, you know, some people are these late bloomers. Um, Do you think that it's good to, to not have it at such a young age, maybe to... You, I, mean, I guess it's hard to say because yeah, like, I wish it happened. When I was younger, yeah, yeah, yeah. But maybe it does something different for you. You get uh, you won't have an ego conflated if you work. You do twenty, thirty years of work, and you know it starts to get recognized. You, it's true work. I mean, fifteen years on a project is intense, yeah. un- unheard of most of the time. Right. A couple of years you hear about, you know, but fifteen, sixteen. Yeah. Wow. That's well, it's wild. yeah, and it's it's again, it's not not a method I would recommend <laughs> um and there was very like when i was finishing the film i was going through divorce like lots of bad things and um and i think that uh it it gained it was it was a dangerous kind of trojan horse in terms of you know if this thing works or not um but you know after quite a few rejections i got into um, festival Tri- Tribeca, which ended up being a, a great, perfect festival for it, and I met some great people and had some people kind of stand, get behind the film. Uh, Tasha Robinson, who writes for The Onion, and um, she was uh, 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 a fan of it. And I got quite a. F- it's weird, like from the year that the film was running, I went from having like no reviews to having like thirty reviews. And, and most of them were good. Some of them were bad, but most mm-hmm. of them were good. Um, but yeah, it was just a whole a whole different kind of place. But I kept saying like, "Oh, this feels good," but it's like it feels good because it worked. Mm-hmm. So it's not really a model for <laughs> like I don't think you should do this because it's just as likely that it could not have worked. And so um, I mean, I did live my life. I wasn't like Madame Curie, you know. Mm-hmm. I raised I had two kids, Carmen and Sylvia, and raised them and I was a, a definitely a their dad and did all kinds of stuff with them. I was not like, I am working, um, you know, leave me be. Mm-hmm. So. And that's a problem with amongst a lot of artists where they put their work, not just artists, anybody who's like a workaholic, that right. mindset, that go-getter workaholic mindset where you neglect kids, your partner. Sure. Yeah. And I have, I mean, I have some good disorders, um, uh, uh, putzing disorder, but I also have a butler disorder. I love to make food for people uh, and serve, you know. Ask no one's mad at that. Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> I I do that kind of stuff. And and also I, I definitely had a weird childhood that was, fa- I was a feral child. Um, I wasn't really abused, but a lot of benign neglect. And so like part of me was like, like I remember like I was a drug, uh, my, like my mother never, um, and I'm, you know, as, as many children of alcoholic parents they let their alcoholic dad off the hook because mm. <laughs> they disappeared to the landscape. But Where did you grow up? I grew up in Pittsburgh, PA. Mm. And my uh, my mother is uh, was British, and um, she met my father in World War II. Oh, wow. And they got married in Berlin, and they're like wedding uh, 
licenses signed by Truman. It was like the transition from, <laughs> and so um, it's it's kind of crazy. That is crazy. Yeah, and um, the because uh, he's still general at that point. So, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but I knew that when I you know was raising my kids that like I was gonna say like we're always drawing and we're drawing on butcher paper we're drawing on the backs of homework when it's like like why not just get a ream of paper mm-hmm. <laughs> like we're always trying to find pencils and trying mm-hmm. to so the idea is like it would be really cool for like you know the idea of like hey guys I bought a box of pencils and 500 pieces of paper but never that never happened. <laughs> Why did that happen? Uh, it never. It's somehow like the the follow through of things just never kind of. I mean, it, there's the pleasure of feral living, that you have a lot of brain space and you have a lot of, you know, like I was a kind of I was a smart but fuck up in school and, mm-hmm. but I I wasn't like your grades are like <laughs> there was no there was kind of no criticality no supervision on yeah that. <laughs> so in some ways I'm glad. And you went to like the school system in Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's public, yeah. all public schools. Uh, only child or no? Um, nine. So there's nine. Ele- eleven initially, wow. but never the more. Opposite of yeah, only. yeah. So uh, yeah, and I grew up uh, around my. There's the five little kids, and then there's the big boys, mm. and so uh, and two of them are still in Pittsburgh. Um, one of them is, and uh, three have three have left this world so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, one of them left before I was born and so she was hit by a car. So there's always people getting hit by cars in my film. Um, oh, wow. yeah. So that was kind of like a bad, a bad moment, yeah. um, that I kind of experienced more like historically. That's interesting. Um, not to take, um, light off that, but similar situation. My parents, my mom is one of 11 in this house Oh yeah, and three passed away and, I'm named after one of them. Oh, and passed away here, well, and so like I have a weird connection to that because I I never lived that. I was born 20 years later, right? But I'm named after that, and I think I have the story about it. I have my grandma's notebook wow. about that experience that she gave to me because of my name. So it's like a really it has weird effects on your art too. I, I the music and stuff I make is based on that too, not as directly um, connected because it is your siblings. You, yeah. you live that, but that's interesting. But yeah. Go yeah. on, please. No, it's a, it's a, it's funny though because it's a uh, as you said, there's a story that I have to uh, that you have to check out called Houston Calling or Houston Are You There by James Triptree Jr. Mm. who's a sci-fi writer who's actually a woman but she wrote as a man until she was in her early 60s and then she said, "Guess what?" Mm. But it's really weird because her stuff is raunchy. Oh, okay. So, like, the C word is dropped and stuff like this. And what era is this? What years? This is um, from 1950s to 60s. She's actually from Chicago, oh. which is the other interesting thing. Her name is Alice um, Shulton Ellis. If you look up James Triptree Jr., you'll see. Was that was that done a lot with, with women artists, like, to use a male name so you can get more attention? For writers, particularly. Yeah, yeah. writers. Um, and then, you know, like... And, you know, contemporary of people like Ursula Le Guin and um, I've recently, for some reason, I've gone on this women sci-fi writers thing. Uh, Vonda McIntyre is somebody I really, really like mm. who's who's known for writing these Star Trek books. Really? But her other stuff is better. <laughs> <laughs> but Super Liminal is her masterpiece, I think. It's okay. Beautiful work. But, um, but anyway, but I'm saying in this James Triptree story, everyone is kind of like a clone, but they all have a book. 
that has the stories of the other clones in it, so you would really like it. Oh, that's, I'm going to write that down. What's it called? It's called um, Houston, uh, uh, Houston, Are You There? by James Triptree Jr. And you can even, if you're too busy, you can even listen to it as an audiobook. Now, <laughs> is that based off of, like, Houston, we have a problem? Like, NASA? Yeah. Space? Okay. Yeah. Houston, yeah. are you there? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So it's very good. That's, um, you're back to your, your growing up with 11 okay, siblings. Sure. Like, did, how did that, you said you you make, you know, you have that in some of your films. Like, how does, that's a lot. There's so much going on with right. so many siblings. And, you know, you, you probably grow up lower income when you have that many siblings, especially, with, yeah. you know, people who just came back from the war. It's right. um, Pittsburgh. It's not, right. you know, that's got to be very formative. And being an artist, uh, anybody yeah. else in your family an artist of any kind? There is, yeah, there's um, three people who are artists and who I was kind of thought as a copier. Like I was copying Nick and Judy, who are the other like real artists, as my one <laughs> pretty mean little sister said. <laughs> um, the uh, but uh, they they kept doing their work, but both of them also pushed kind of a little bit against their art identity um, and did kind of other things. Uh, Nick Nick really got into music and he also teaches French. He lives in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and Judy is does her work, but it's kind of one of these... She had a really weird th- thing she said to me once, which was interesting. If you ever hear this, Judy, it's fine. Um, she said, I felt like I was more known as being Judy the artist than Judy the person. Mm. And so one, part of her just wanted to, that whole question of like doing or like a human doing or a human being. So she wanted to kind of have, be kind of respected as just being there in a way. Mm-hmm. And she kind of, I think she kind of pushed that a little too far in some ways, you know, and didn't kind of do some of the PR stuff you have to do. Um, but she also had kids and that's complicated and... Um, I think more complicated for women sometimes than for men. But but oh, also yeah. some people when they have kids, they become some other creature, which did not happen to me. Like I, I didn't suddenly become this, I'm primarily a a father. That's my main – like I I kind of just divide. I like a, I'm more like a planaria. So I just have like, okay, here's my father head. Here's my art making mm-hmm. head. Here's my, you know, wanting to be in love head. And they, they all they all take up 100%. Yeah. So, I, I kind of like that more, yeah, and I feel yeah. similar to that mindset. Yeah. 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 So, um, but it's interesting. I think it's something I don't think you can control because I know people who just have have some sort of almost biological transformation when they have children where they're, they are just, I am a parent, mm-hmm. whatever else. No more other identities. I'm a parent. Yeah. Did, did you, um, were you afraid of that at first before having kids? Like, because you were an artist before you had children. So yeah. Did you um, fear that could happen to time? I don't know because there's too much. It's also kind of the, um, you know, the, the pl- there's a pleasure in that idea that, you know, we're going to do this thing. And the um, woman I um, married and raised my kids with named Susan Abelson, and she, kids are named Abelson too, Carmen Abelson, Sylvia Abelson. Um, we kind of had we had a similar kind of energy of like you know how we raised the kids and stuff like that. So it wasn't um, uh, you know we still made room room for ourselves. Um, but we also but also I'm an academic, so you know. So if you anyone out there, if you ever hear a full time teacher saying they just don't have time for their work, ask them how many hours they have. So I work thirty weeks a year, 
three days a week. So <laughs> and at the end of the semester, maybe I work four days a week, mm-hmm. maybe even for two weeks, five days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I get three six, months. I get three, three, three to four months. Up. So it's just kind of like shut up. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you're if it's a, if you're a part timer, it's a whole other thing because you're not really making a living wage. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I have health care. I have all this stuff. It's the beauty of that job. Yeah. I I'm in a similar boat, not as far along at all that you are, but yeah. it's um, a wonderful position to have to have that balance of teaching what you do and doing what you teach, having that time to focus on your work and bring it back to the to the students to the faculty and. Just re- rinse and repeat, and you have a lot of freedom to focus on what you do. It kind of helps you blossom. Yeah. You know, it can for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's very funny, too, that, like, you know, artists artists and teachers kind of take themselves a little bit too seriously and think that they're some sort of ma- magical. Mm-hmm. I remember some, one time I was actually um, I was talking to my a therapist. That's the other thing, a healthcare therapist for 25 bucks an hour. <laughs> Love yeah. it. So it's a... Um, uh, but I just said, I don't know, sometimes it's just, I, you know, I get up and I just don't want to, I don't want to go to work. And I just, I don't know, I feel like I'm having this kind of, I don't think I use the word crisis. And and she just said, so do you think that like a guy that runs a restaurant gets up at six and goes, yay, I'm going to go get the restaurant started. Yeah, or, and work 15 hours in the kitchen. <laughs> it's like, so artists think they're so special because they don't want to go to work. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, just like everybody else. Yeah. It's like, damn. Burned. <laughs> Yeah, and then you get in there, and you you know you do your thing, right? You know you you know you pick up the garbage, or you build the building, or you mm-hmm. do the accounting, or whatever. But everyone wakes up with the the shadow of their work. But we think we're like super special, yeah, because we go to this place <laughs> where we get to have expression, and others get to enjoy it. So it means more. And you go, well, it wouldn't mean anything if they weren't there enjoying it. They're just as important so as I am. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's kind of it's 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 also. Uh, I don't know. It's just I, I, I love being. You know, I, I feel very grateful that I can make my work, and I'm allowed to make my work. But I don't have any notions that I'm like a special kind of human. Which people, when I hear people say things that they think are so poetic, like artists are what makes life worth living, I'm like, oh. <laughs> I don't know. I, <laughs> I can say that about a doctor, yeah. a cook, or whatever. I Everybody's what's what makes life worth it. Right, right. So yeah. the, we aren't some sort of like saints. One piece of the puzzle. Right. Or you could say artists are the most egocentric <laughs> people making monuments to their personalities. You mm-hmm. know, you could look at it, the darker side of it. That, that is a problem too. That definitely does happen. Yeah. There is, there is, I was having a conversation with someone recently who's in a completely different industry, um, technology, and when she describes it, I'm like, man, that reminds me of the art world. Like the egos, are st- maybe there's not a lot of money in- involved because it's not technology, but like the egos are still there. And it's like, oh, we're just humans. Everyone has their competitions, their egos, their ways of wanting to be better than the next person, you know. And then once they get to a certain place, sometimes they forget where they came from and they don't help each other up. You know, yeah. others who are coming up to. And yeah. you seem like someone who's very good at that, who's always been there for that. Like, you know, Ann Bell, mm-hmm. she has spoke highly of you and how you've helped her in many ways, you know? Yeah. So. Well, I try to, um, I try to do, I try to help uh, people. I also want, I like the idea of passing the baton. Mm. Like one of my very politically um, um, volatile things is that, hello, everyone out there teaching 
particularly animation, for some reason animation is particularly bad about it. When you reach retirement age, retire. Yes, it is really nice to go to school and be around young, beautiful people until you're 85, but it's really not what you should do. You should retire and let someone else have a job. Mm -hmm. So these academics that stay, and they always say, but I still love what I do. It's like, of course you love what you do. It's You've been doing it for 40 years. Yeah, of course. and it's like, it's like, it's, but it's, so what? Yeah. So what if you love what you do? It's like, you're 67, get out of there. Yeah. You know, and uh, I really believe in that. So I do too. And you can continue to do other things. Now you have a good, you know, pension or savings. Like, yeah, go do other things. Pass the baton. You keep making your art. Maybe you have more time to make your art yeah. and do other things. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you said 32 years at the Art Institute, right? You started in 89? Um, I guess it was 88 officially, but then I think I was officially full-time at, in 89, yeah. What, uh, what led to that? Because you went to... Minneapolis? Yeah. So I was living in Minneapolis, um, which had a very different, was known for very different things. Yeah. <laughs> that I was known for grants. Um, but I, I, I lived, I lived my life, um, in a very weird way in my, my late teens and early twenties, which was, I was very impressionable, which was that like, for instance, my, I'd say my first four relationships were people who were like, I want to be with you. And I'm like, Okay. And it's not like they weren't real relationships and they weren't of value. Um, and then, but I had like longing for other people, but I was kind of like, I was, so the, the power of suggestion was super intense. So like I was at Carnegie Mellon. Um, there were some really great things there. I had some really good teachers there. Um, um, George Tapley, who was a painter, um, who was really good. And um, Lynn Barrett, who was a writer. And so they were, they were both like adults. Um, which was, who talked to me like an adult. They weren't performative teachers, which I hate performative teachers. Mm. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, like, okay, you have an idea. What happens with that idea? Where does it go? Maybe it goes out to the stars or whatever. But you've got to grab that. And you've got to, you know, it's like, what? <laughs> that kind of yeah. things. I see something here. Um, um, who else? You know, well, anyway, like, it shouldn't be about you. But, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm I'm an active teacher, but I don't, I don't try to pretend that there's that I'm converting someone to a religion or mm. whatever. But um, but I had but those are very good teachers. But then I had a teacher, Bruce Breeland, um, and he actually wasn't a great teacher. <laughs> he was kind of like a, a hippieish guy. And but um, I said, yeah, I'm not sure if I I really want to be somewhere where I could study film because at that time Carnegie Mellon didn't have film and animation, and now it does. Um, and uh, Jim Dusing, who's a good friend of or good colleague, someone that I love very much, but we only see each other once every three or four years. Mm -hmm. But um, he uh, he's there. Um, he's a really interesting filmmaker. Um, but I, this guy just literally, literally said, I don't know, maybe you should go up to Minneapolis. So I got a friend, Herbert Munzner, teaches there. It's a crazy place. And I did. I didn't look at any other school. I didn't, I just like, and it had this little booklet that was like kind of this little sh tiny booklet. And I was like, okay. So it was like this very weird way that I lived my life at like the power of suggestion. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but it ended up really working out. When well, you were like 20 at this time? I was 20. So they transferred from Carnegie Mellon to... Right. And apparently like one thing is that when I left, I really, I didn't tell my family I was leaving. <laughs> like my brother Jerry's like, what? You're going, you're leaving in two weeks? And it's like, it's a very, very strange brain space that I was in. Um, but Minneapolis was ended up being a very s surprisingly good experience um, because um, all these uh, 
I had kind of like some core teachers who were who were good, introduced me to interesting things, Tom DiBiaso, Sandy Maliga, um, and they're kind of like my anchor people. Um, but then there was a guy named um, Ken Feingold, who's a video artist, and he realized, oh, there's a Walker Arts Center, and all these people keep coming through the Walker Arts Center. Let's bring him, have him swing by MCAD. So, so I, in the time that I was there, um, let's see, I had... Um, so I saw lectures by uh, Michael Snow, um, John Baldessari, John Luke Goddard. Um, it just keeps on going on and on. I had Michael Snow, who is actually, if you actually know Michael Snow, he doesn't care so much about his films. He's hmm. mainly a jazz musician. Okay. So he's a piano player, and um, I'm not sure if Michael Snow's still alive because he's getting pretty darn old. He might be past, but he's he's lived a good ripe life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's okay if he's dead. Um, <laughs> but his band, his whole band was there, and they played in the little school auditorium. Um, it was amazing. But mm-hmm. and then we had visiting artist people come and teach, and so um, uh, another painter guy whose name I'm forgetting right now. He said, oh, I know this guy in L.A. who's kind of cool, Mike Kelly. So Mike Kelly came and taught performance for a year there. And then he said, well, I have a friend. They needed someone for video. I have a good friend, Tony Ausler. How about if we have Tony Ausler come? So I had Tony Ausler as my video teacher, Mike Kelly as my performance artist. Um, Other visitors that came through, Constance DeJong, who's a really interesting storyteller, performance people. So it was kind of like all these really intense people, Howard Freed, um, all these, like, came and taught for a semester. Um, And this is at, what's officially in the school? MCAD, Vito Acconci. Um, All these people were, Mm. so it was actually, and then I had a core of about 12 fellow students who were, we basically would say, what are we all taking next semester? Mm. You all wanted to do it together? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. we were like we were kind we were kind of post medium, um, and so it was it ended up being a really wonderful experience. Um, this is the early eighties. This is, yeah. So I graduated in eighty three. Okay. I lost some of my Carnegie Mellon credits because they said ceramics is a craft, hmm. not an art. <laughs> so that was a bad moment, but it's okay. I got an extra year. So you graduated twenty three. Yeah, nineteen sixty. You were born. I was born in 1960. Yeah. Yeah. So you go from there. What happens after Minneapolis? So I live in the grant world. I make a few films. Um, I make a feature that didn't go anywhere, which I may resuscitate. You should. Because I act in it. And my other friend that acts in it is game for us doing a a B shoot Mm -hmm. at our 60-year-old selves. So it's not fully animation. You did also film. It's all live, live action. Yes. Yeah. So it's like it's very. Um, I'd say it's it's kind of Caligari-ish or um, uh, maybe more like a Guy Madden-ish. How are they filmed? Sixteen millimeter. Sixteen millimeter. Um, and uh, it's. I mean, there's things I like about the film, but I was also young, and I, you know, there's things that are missing. But that's that's the beauty of those those days. Yeah. You you have to try those things out. That's how you get to where you are now. Right. But so at at that time. While I was in the grant thing, I actually got a call from the Art Institute saying, would you be interested in applying for this job? We have an opening for animation. Um, Sharon Cousin, uh, who passed away just, I think, last year or two years ago, she um, saw my work um, at a screening um, that was at the Art Institute, this one film of mine and uh, called The Beholder. And so she was interested in maybe me coming to teach. And I said... Sorry, I'm in grant world now. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm happy here, or whatever. So, um, so they hired a guy named Doug Haynes. 
this is right at the kind of the beginning of the AIDS crisis. So Doug was from San Francisco. Doug ended up either contracting AIDS or had AIDS when he arrived. Um, but anyway, but he hung on for a few years, but then his, you know, this was before there was any treatment, mm-hmm. uh, was, you know, late eighties. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so he thought he could come back and he couldn't. And then they just kind of said like Rudolph the red nosed reindeer phone call, Chris, can you come suddenly in two weeks and teach? And so I came and that's what happened. So it's very, it's very, it's a very sad thing that it was like Doug Haynes and he died about a year later. Wow. And so it's pretty intense. That's wild how yeah. that worked. Yeah. And uh, and then it kind of went from part-time to full-time to I'm one of the rare people that actually took an entire seven years to get my tenure. But um, How do you mean? Elaborate for those who don't know. Oh, sorry. Um, often people will give get credit f- for like how they get tenure at a school. So they'll go, oh, you, you only have to do four years or you have to do <laughs> – so, or if they come from another school. So um, – but uh, I mean, I think I was an I was an okay teacher. I don't think I was a, a good teacher. It took I think quite a while to be a good teacher, and um, you know, I think I still, I still, I teach from the sense that I make stuff, and that's why I can help you make stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but but yeah, so that's how I uh, ended up being here, and then I just didn't go away. <laughs> Never left. So it took seven years to get tenured. And so, yeah, the, one of the weird thing was though, as I came here, this was 1989, um, uh, me and my, um, my, my partner at the time, Susan Abelson, we had just started a relationship and we kind of like went, came here together. So that was pretty intense for her particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, she ended up going to UIC, so at least she had kind of like a context. So she got her MFA there. And so that was, that was kind of weird life yeah you're uh been teaching as long as i've been alive wow i was born cool. in december 89 oh wow so that's your a... first semester yeah. was my birth that's crazy my whole existence has been your career <laughs> and uh you're one of few teachers it's not very common right you don't have an mfa right no so just your wonderful portfolio coupled with the bfa is tenured that's not that common it's not that it's well it's it's very interesting because in my department it's it's particularly not common now yeah as the MFAing of the art world is starting to happen, unfortunately. Um, why unfortunately? Why unfortunately? Because art just isn't that complicated. And so, and... Hey, what are you trying to say? What am I trying <laughs> to say is that, like, the like I, I really hate art speak, and I hate, and, like, in, in fact, like, when people say things like, well, I'm really curious, like, what theory are you reading? And yeah. it's like, you could read theory, but you could also just read books, yeah. Or do it. Or just like, do it. Do it. There are just other ways it. to kind of get there. But I, I guess there is a whole kind of, um, you know, uh, the liminality of the, uh, you know, um, of recycling and all these kind of things that are topics of art that I have absolutely no interest in. And mm-hmm. It's like, to me, art is like about, it's about loss and love and, and you know, memory and things, things that are very tangible. It's it's not It's not about... It's not like an essay form, at least the, the, not the art that I enjoy. Yeah. So that it's um, so, but I but it's very interesting how kind of there used to be a separation between the educational art world and the gallery art world, but now it's migrated. Mm-hmm. So all these people who are running galleries now, even high end galleries that make money, galleries are actually like MFA people from various places, and they all have their political, you know 
structure for how things work and mm-hmm. um, even the notion of like, you know, how is the community involved? Because um, there are some grants that are like, well, how do you involve the community? And it's like, well, I make a cool thing and they come and see it. <laughs> yeah. That's how I involve the community. Yeah. Not that, it, not that I, I don't mind that people, but there are people that will actually say, well, is there no community practice? And it's like, no, there isn't. Just like some people write books and they don't, novelists don't have to have a community practice. Mm-hmm. But so I'm one of those people that doesn't have a community practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's 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 kind of changing what, um, you know what, what is kind of presented as as the art world. But it's okay. I'm gonna be leaving soon. <laughs> You're like I'm right. I'm gonna be hiding. Out. I'm out of here. <laughs> so I have you know I'm gonna finish. I'm working on this feature that I will finish and will probably be my last big thing. I'll still mm-hmm. do other smaller things, but I think... How many features have you made? This will be life? my second, <laughs> second to prove that I can do it twice. No, this will be my third, third, but the first one did not fly, so unless I resuscitate that. The one you're talking about? From the the one from, M- yeah, from Minneapolis. Yeah. Um, the Consuming Spirits, you know, had its wings. Um, this very interesting thing, though, I think that... I've learned this from novelist writer friends of mine who'd be like, they have a review in the New York Times of their new novel. And I assume they can quit their day job, and they can't. So this is true. Like I had a probably the probably the kind of biggest critical moment of like my art life was that I got a A.O. Scott review in the New Yorker, like front page of the art section, that was like a glowing review of Consuming Spirits. And it's like, okay, here it starts. Yeah. No. 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 No distributor was interested in the film. Um, Why is that? I do not know. Um, and people saw it and they, uh, or I don't know if they saw it, they just, or they passed on it. I talked to like many, so I, I assumed that some, you know, distributors that were, would like, so, oh, I got to get a hold of this film. But wait, it's not completely fair um, because I actually was approached by um, um, Kino Lorber. But I thought, I will wait and see. I believe my dance card will be filling up very soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it never happened. So, so Kino Lorber was interested in um, distributing the film, and I, I, I passed on it. Um, and what and year did that film come out? Two thousand twelve. Hmm. I wonder if it'd be different now if it came out now. I don't know. I don't uh, know either. I mean, here's the thing. Um, I'm I'm an Academy member now, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I get to see all the films that are up for Academy Awards. Wow. So there's an incredible film from Poland called um, Ain't Never Gonna Snow Again or Never Gonna Snow Again. Um, did not make the, the short list. It was on the long list of the Academy Awards. Um, I don't see it in the U.S. I can't find it online. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an incredible film yeah. um, by a, a woman director, um, incredible actors. It's a really, it's, it has like the energy of like Wings of Desire or something. It's a beautiful film. There's also a, a feature film called Number 7, Sherry Lane. Me and my partner saw it. We're like, oh, my God, this thing is amazing. Can't get a hold of it. Can't watch it online. It was at Lem, um, Lemley for a little while. Um, the Lemley, here's a weird nerdy thing for filmmakers. So when if you for something to be um, Academy Award considered, it has to play in L.A. for a week at certain theaters. That's a little arbitrary. Yeah. I, pl- I played at a theater that was not one of their theaters. So I thought I had it set. So my film did not qualify. Um, but there's a theater called The Lemley that you can rent and do a split, b- basically a, a pretty reasonable calendar fee. 
So people do that. They show their film, they rent the Lemley for a week, and then they are Academy nominated. So that's it was playing through the Lemley for um, a few mm. uh, weeks. But, I, but, I'm, but I'm just thinking like, well, here's an incredible film that maybe is disappearing. Um, so pieces of work just do kind of... It's sad. Yeah. They, it's sad. People have the wrong idea. On the outside, consumers of media, they think, like, well, if it's not Academy Award or if it's not Grammys or if it's not Emmys, then like, it must not be good. It's like, no. There's yeah. not enough room at the top. Yeah. The pyramid's too small. There's so much good art everywhere, and it just doesn't make it. It happens with bands all the time. Right. A record just goes completely unnoticed because yeah. not the right person promoted it, not the right person wrote an article about it in the Chicago Reader. And it's like, it's unfortunate. It's yeah. And just because it's not big and doesn't have accolades doesn't mean it's not a good or amazing film. And like someone like you, you have so much experience making films and watching them and teaching about them that, you know, you would, you're on the Academy Award um like board, you, you. It's like a. It's a board that you pay for it. By the way, it's four hundred dollars a year, <laughs> which I found out after. <laughs> um, but it, uh, but I was actually nominated by um, uh, a friend friend of mine, Stacy Steers, who's on the board. And it, here's interesting: Stacy and me and my friend uh, Rose Bond um, are people whose careers are kind of at their most active now, and are like late fifth in our fifties and sixties, which is so. It does happen for people. You know, that we're, um, in some ways, we are kind of in control. We're still at the mercy of certain things, but it, it's nice that things do sometimes happen later in your life. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you just have to kind of, it sometimes is good to tell yourself that I got to make something that's good enough to break through. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, there are definitely wonderful things that don't break through and you don't know why. Yeah, it just, it, it truly feels just random yeah just truly nonsensical you're just like why it's such a beautiful record i hear them all the time yeah music films i'll watch a film like no one knows about it. i love it um you know i always have the wrong idea of what a film should that like, should win like did you ever see the movie under the skin i i have heard many good things but i still have not seen it i must confess but no yeah. it's it's a great film but the score i love it and to me it's like that should have won you know a nomination for best score should have won a grammy an oscar just groundbreaking and yep. you type in any list online best film scores it's always in the top three like to this day it came out seven years ago like why oh it's because it's a very strange avant-garde obscure you have to read into it it has many different meanings types of film it's very odd and different and because of that for some reason it gets overlooked it's not it doesn't have the tropes that you need to like fit into the categories of the oscars you know right and it's sad that people think like it's only good if it is in the Oscars, right. or it does win a Grammy. It's like right. there's, there's only like 20 people that win that every year, you know? Like, right, and, and, it, and it is it is a club. It's very obvious, like, you know, when Marriage Story came out, which was a very good, normal film. Yeah. So it's not like a crazy piece of art. No. But it's very good. And so I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, those two um, are going to get nominated, or but they didn't. But then it's like Laura Dern won, like, a secondary character. because Laura Dern's in the club. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's kind of like, and we don't want these young upstarts, you know, who, and we've we've seen their tits or we've seen their bodies, so we that makes them also uncool. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> they have to be like properly. You know, um, I don't know. It's it's you have to fit in the box. Yeah, to fit in the box. And, yeah, uh, you do. And even in the art world, you have to fit into a box. Yeah, it's not fun. Yeah, it's very interesting because we've been having these debates about um, Nomadland because um, we we said we should watch it, and see what it's like, and I. Um, it's, but it's interesting. It it has a, what's very interesting. It is the mindset of uh, there are good things about it, 
but it's the mindset of like people who actually have like relationships and sex are the phonies. <laughs> it's the people that isolate themselves and uh, and like are cold. Those are the real people. Mm. So that seems to be the, uh, <laughs> the 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 bottom theme of of. Uh, of Nomadland. I haven't seen it, but I've been wanting to. It'll be interesting. You'll see it. I'm curious if you'll see what I'm talking about. Yeah. But uh, No, I've been wanting to see it. I, I fell off watching so many movies the last yeah. year. My goal when everything shut down was like just be outside. Yeah. Just get vitamin D, go on walks, be healthy, just get away from it, get rid of all my oh, that's so subscriptions. Good. Yeah. It changed my life. It's been great. Yeah. But now I'm getting like watching more movies again. And yeah. uh, I watched The Sound of Metal recently. Have you seen that? No, but I've heard great things about oh, it. So I want to see it. Yeah. It's so good. I was very upset that I brought this up on the podcast before that the Academy got rid of sound mixing, sound editing, and they made achievement in sound because they're very different. And it won film editing and sound achievement in sound as it should. It was great. Such a great representation of what it is to go deaf and to deal with a cochlear implant as an adult as a kid and they did such a cool um, like inside perspective of wow. his head what it was like to hear sound deaf and with the cochlear implant it was very sad very anybody who watches it it'll help you understand like you should protect your hearing conserve it you know be aware of it it's no joke it can happen yeah. to anybody but yeah, it was should, a beautiful movie there's a wonderful movie that um, was on um, MP, uh, not you know public television called The Sound and the Fury which is yes. great. Why does that sound so familiar? It sounds it's because it's both it's both from Shakespeare and from Faulkner, right? But it's okay. <laughs> I was like, but I uh, know that. but then you have uh, but what's great is it's super complicated. Mm. You don't know what you think at the end. Okay. I you, like that. Yeah, so you're like I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, really wonderful. It's my favorite types of films. The ones yeah. you're like I got to watch it again. Same with records. I got to listen to that again. I don't know what I just heard. But I like it. Yeah, it's different. I don't want to understand something when I first read it, watched it, listened to it. Um, I want to have a conversation with someone that I'm like torn in directions. I'm yeah. mad at some stuff they said. I love some stuff they said. Right. You know, food too. What is this complicated thing? <laughs> is this thing alive still? What uh, is this? It's well, like they go through the part where the kid's about to get the cochlear implant, and the doctor's like, "Well, you know, some possible complications. Sometimes there's some uh, facial paralysis. Um, in very rare situations, there ends up being a brain infection. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. But it's also, um, I mean, but it's not. It's 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 pro and con in all directions. And I love that the kid wants to hear things, very particular things." <laughs> Talking to her grandmother, and she says he wants to hear a lion. This is like lion is like this with your you're making your mane. Mm -hmm. um, and she wants to. I can't remember what the car crash looks. It's probably a C that goes like this or something. But she wants to hear a car crash. She wants to hear mm. <laughs> like <laughs> these noises that she wants to. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's a beautiful film. Mm. I'll check it out. Check when, it out. when did that come out? Do you know, I'd say it's at least ten years old now. Ten years old. Um, but super complicated cast mm. of hearing and non hearing and. Deaf ad advocates and anti-deaf advocates, and um, I mean, there's a whole question of immersion or advocacy for isolation for like a defining a deaf culture. Mm -hmm. um, so they challenge that too. Mm -hmm. You know, is a deaf school good? And so it, it's a beautiful piece. But I'll definitely have to hear. I've heard great things about the Sound of Metal. So I want yeah, to hear it. I'll watch the Sound of Fury. Rewatch Sound of Metal. We'll talk about <laughs> well, it. That sounds good. Yeah. Um, when did you start? When did you start doing, like, animation, like, hand-drawing out things? I started doing animation at um, Carnegie Mellon. Um, 
I By did. the way, that's a good school, and you said you weren't yeah. good in school and high uh, school. Yeah, yeah, I was. So. Well, this is the thing. I didn't. I graduated 246, but it was an art school, and I got in with my portfolio uh-huh. and my um, 450 and 480 SAT scores. Mm. So, so in other words, like at that, they they've changed the numerology. Like at that point, 900 was a good score. Now, like 1600 is. I never took. I took ACT, not SAT. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but that's how I got in. Um, and, uh, and, but I, I, I did fine. I mean, I got mainly A's when I was in college because I'm, you know, pretty serious about it. Um, and, um, but, uh, I, I was actually besmitten by, um, a woman named, uh, Sue Boschman who was taking an animation class. So again, I'm very impressionable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I uh so I so I'll take an animation class too and I and but I I had a facility but I guess the most important thing was we had like a little screening and I showed this little super 8 film that I made um where you did you recorded the sound by like recording it live there's like a recording head on the projector it's super crazy mm-hmm. small like lo-fi. Yeah. And um that's how I did the sound and uh it, but I I, it was the first time I experienced the idea that there's a group of people assembling t- to experience something and take it in, and part of that energy is that that crowd that's taking that thing in. So, um, you know, I often think about this when people will say, like, you know, well, you know, uh, cinema's dead, you know, whatever. I mean, people watch things on their phones, and it's like, you don't watch my film on your phone. Mm-mm. You're not going to stay with it. It's too, it's too delicate mm-hmm. for you to watch on the phone. Some things you could watch on the phone, but also I want you to feel the person next to you. Um, you know, anyway, it's funny when whether you've had a bad concert or whether you've had a bad screening. What's very interesting is it's the same film, it's the same music, but some something did not is not connecting mm-hmm. with the crowd. And as soon as it starts not connecting, it grows. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's like a, a leak in the dike. Suddenly everyone starts talking and mm-hmm. it builds up or whatever. And then suddenly people start drifting or whatever, you know, or it's, it's like, or that question like, last night there were 30 people dancing. Tonight there is no one dancing. Mm. Like what makes that happen? So, yeah. um, but, um, but the assemb- that idea like, oh, there are people hearing this. And then I did a poetry reading too at Carnegie Mellon. And it's like, oh, this is people taking something in. Um, I like being, I like being an observer. Um, that's another thing I hate about art school. It's like, well, does the audience just kind of like sit there? I mean, how can they be involved? And it's like, by watching, <laughs> by listening. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't that isn't it pleasant to watch and listen? Mm-hmm. Do I have to go up there? Like, no, I don't. I mean, I don't. Like, I'm engaged. I'm, I'm, but it's, the term they use is passive viewing. If you don't like, if there isn't like an inner, if you're not conversation, an interactive it. thing, yeah. it's like, it's not passive, it's, it's reverent. Yeah. And that's what I like to do. I just like to get lost in a piece of work. I am now unimportant. The work is important. So that's my favorite kind of way of feeling. That important. doesn't work well in art school. Not in art school. Um, I have the same concept yeah. mindset. <laughs> so I remember yeah. feeling like I, I, I'm just taking this in. Yeah. I'm admiring its beauty and expression and the time and what it does for me and um, I, I agree. I try never to watch anything on my phone. I watch it. Like, I'm blessed to have an awesome 5.1 nice. surround sound um, 4K television with a 4K player. So, I've gotten into buying 4K disc, and it's amazing that uncompressed audio videos. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. And I wish more people got into that, but everyone's so used to their, their phone or their smart TV with a sound bar. And yeah, I want to watch Consuming Spirits on. Is it a 5.1 mix? Do you know? It's not. 
No. It's just a straight stereo. There is uh, one kind of fun thing is it's coming out on um, um, Criterion uh, Collection. Is pick, collection is pick, picking it up. Wow. And so that'll be cool. So, but That's they, amazing. But I gave them the... I gave them like that the big high res file that they're going to do their compression, which will probably be better than my compression. So, like you can see it on um, on Vimeo on demand, but I, I think the Criterion version may end up being better. So Blu-ray, um, I think it'll still be mainly digital, but it might be Blu-ray. I don't. I don't That'd think it'd be it, amazing. Yeah. So, um, but that but that's kind of a cool thing. That's that's, it's, that's it's just kind of a cool thing. That's very. I nice. have Criterion collection stuff. Yeah. You know, my roommates do. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. That's cool. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you, Penelope, who said, hey, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Penelope, Penelope Bartlett. Some of my favorite films or things I've been introduced to have been through a Criterion Collection. So yeah. we'll play on the channel, too. Yeah. Wow. That's what I think. So, um, and it, and it's, I think it's like a flat, they're paying me a flat fee. So I don't think it'll be like money trickling mm. in, but that's fine. There's a point when you have to kind of trade off visibility. Yeah, uh, and just go like, yeah, let that thing be out there in the world. I even thought yeah. about like, I haven't quite pulled the trigger of like making my film free, um, um, but now I, I probably won't. I think I would still keep it a little bit. You can still watch since you're everyone's paying. For, I, I've loved this new acceleration. Like it's the it's the cruelty of COVID. Yeah. So anyone here has not rented a film recently, like you go on Netflix and it's thirteen dollars. So it's not five dollars. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's like oh my god, what happened? Yeah. So it's like twelve or thirteen dollars. What channels is it available on Amazon or? Uh, no, um, I'm just saying that if you're on Amazon or you're whatever, like the, the the price of watching something online yeah. is, is 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 going up. Yeah. Because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what else are you gonna do? Is there? Idea? Yeah, they did it on purpose. Like, yeah, oh, we'll just raise it up. Yeah. Yeah. All the streaming services went up like a dollar a month. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute. I thought they were making more money because everyone's on it, so they raise it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I see what you're But doing why make just more money when you can make more and more? Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be on, it'll be on, I guess it'll just be whatever the criterion path is. To... Have you um, struggled with that, putting a price tag on your art, how to quantify it? What does that mean? There's really no way to quantify literally endless hours, you know? Um, I haven't because I, I, I realized that I myself am watching free stuff on YouTube, watching other people's things for $4 or whatever. So, um, you know, I just, I buy, I buy, um, you know, other people's work and I, I know that they put all this time into it. So just that some, I actually like that about media, um, whether it's music or whether it's that, you know, it's not like a painting or a sculpture where one person's going to have it. It's like, it's a pizza, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And so like for the price of a pizza or even half a pizza, you get to see this piece of work. And, and I kind of like the humbleness of that. So it's like, you know, and I also, it's funny when you make a piece of work, um, I'm sure other people do this. What I'm hoping happens with Consuming Spirits or what did happen is that when lights come on, they basically have to kind of just what just hand out Kleenexes because everyone is so emotional and they've been so moved that they just don't, their life has changed, you know. The reality is that does happen to a few people, but mainly it's just watching a movie. Mm-hmm. And they go, oh, that was cool. Hmm. And you get up and you go and you do whatever you do. And you do. Yeah. So it's like, um, you know, uh, this uh, people taking your piece of work. There's no, no work's going to pay you back, right? No work is going to like, you know, 
I'm, I lived my 15 years while I made Consuming Spirits and I, my life went there. My life was not on hold. Um, there are maybe, maybe there are moments of months where things feel on hold. Like I feel a little bit, I have like one year left of getting my film out the door and both me and my partner were kind of like, I w if I could, if I had a magic wand, I'd make this film done. Right. So we're in that state, that last, um, I don't know how it works with music. It's also this, like, it's 85% done for three years. Yeah. Is the way it ends up feeling. It's like, why yeah. Why can't it, why, why isn't it 88% done? <laughs> it's like, yeah. It keeps, like, I don't know, it's almost like skin grafts. Or things. <laughs> well, we lost a few. Yeah. So now we're got we're, we're back. We're at 78. Now we're going to get back up to 85 soon. Yeah. Are you in, like, the post-production part of it? I'm in both. Okay. So I do, uh, I mix post and post, pre, and production together at the same time. Um, and there was a narrative uh, twist in the film that is definitely important. And that's something that be, you know, might be interesting to talk about. It's like, you know, when is something done and when is it... Abandoned. Not, when is it... Or when do you just say, well, this is, what it, this is what it is and I just have to finish it. Yeah. Um, and I kind of don't... I kind of don't believe in that. It's like... If you if you are ready if if you're getting to the end of something and suddenly you realize you know what we need to have a shot of these two people talking to each other to get some closure on this film we got to get them back we got to get rent the house again we got to do whatever we have to do because there's something missing mm -hmm. and um, there's a term picture lock that people use which I hate um, picture lock comes from a a way of making films where the actual film would be um, spliced, A-B rolled, that you'd make a master positive, and you'd have a work print that you're doing sound design in. So because of that, picture lock made sense. Because to go back into your picture was an enormous task. But we're in the digital editing world. So opening up five minutes in your film is as easy as highlighting and dragging. Mm -hmm. And then you put that missing thing in. So I don't think there should anyone should have the term picture lock. Mm. Um, you should say, oh, it's picture lock because the picture is exactly what I want. Yeah. But usually it's used to say, I can't put anything else. I can't do any. There's no, it's, there, there's no more cues, cures, only treatment. Or, only, mm. or not even treatment. It's like it's all we can do now is um, um, rehab. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't know. Maintenance. Yeah. Do you, um, you, you write out the film too? You write the story, the dialogue, and you do the animation? Do you yeah. do it all by hand? I do it by hand, but I do, particularly with this film, I will probably only do about a quarter of the animation. And then um, I make key drawings for the bodies, And um, but I have three animators who are, four animators who are working on it, and the longest one has been working on it for 10 years. The other ones have been working from eight and six and... Seven. Is this this isn't self funded? It's through a company, through a production. Self it's self funded, and it's I've got I did a Kickstarter and I got a Creative Capital grant, so I got I got money, but I but basically I'm bleeding money about a thousand dollars a week, which um, is going to end in July. The thousand dollar a week bleed, but uh, but so it's Olivia Rogers, um, Guillermo Rodriguez, Sarah Payne, and Pablo Lorenzano are like the 
the main animator people. And then I have some other people who've come come through and work for periods. Mm. And um, with Consuming Spirits, you did all of it or most most of it? I did, I'd say, 50% of it. And then Corey Fiella and Shelley Dodson were main animators in it. And I had uh, a guy named Paul Demers who was an amazing painter, and he he did background work. So, mm. I, um, so I haven't done thing... Um, uh, Landscape of the Fall of the Icarus was the last, like, only my hand touched film. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain things I'd like to have in that are my hand. Um, but on the other hand, I it's almost, it is like trusting a guitar player or something like this. It's just like, no, I like, I like their hand. I like what thing. you do. Yeah, I like yeah. you doing it. And I, and I also like, you know, the, being able to give these people... Um, a semi-living wage for, you know, through COVID and through many years. Yeah. So, I mean, they make, between me and my partner, because she's these animators too, they probably make about 20000 a year, mm. um, which if you're a young person, you can get by. There's other jobs you can get. Yeah. We've, we've all been there. Yeah. So it's not like, and I don't provide health care or anything like that. So it's, it is a part-time job, but. Yeah. But it's kind of cool you get to work on. The, and if the film does well, then it's like, you know, it's a feather in their cap, and also they know they can use anything they've done for their reels or things like that. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, great experience. That's real experience. Is there um feature length? So, eighty, ninety, hundred minutes. It's gonna be like two hours. Two hours. Okay. Yeah, that's so much work to animate two hours. It is. <laughs> oh, but there's a live action thing in it too, and that's oh. the weird part. So, um, Sylvia Abelson, who's my daughter, but also a great actress, and um, T.J. Jagodowski, who's improv guy. It plays a, he plays a therapist and she plays her patient, and um, almost all of their live action is it's like a therapy session, so it's in one room. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of movement, not a lot of movement, mm-hmm. and that's kind of this little plateau place that we go, this live action place. Mm-hmm. And then there's one other live action scene that takes place at a gallery, um, where the one character is putting up um, photographs of. Uh, well, they're actually paintings of photographs of Chicago disasters. Mm. The Great Fire. <laughs> the great, all, all of them. Yes, all the fate. Not the Great Fire. The, 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 the other great fires that could. So there's the Iroquois Theater fire, mm-hmm. the Eastland disaster, and um, Our Lady of Angels fire. Mm. Um, so those are the ones that I'm using as kind of these pivotal points of like, you know, things that eat children. <laughs> and uh, and it's funny because the more you find out about these fires, you, you find out that um, there's not as much negligence as you would want. Like people always want there to be like, but some of it is just like, like there's an interesting, I'm just hearing this fact. So one of the things that movies lie about is if a house is on fire, it's pitch black inside for whoever's inside it. Mm. So do you always wonder like, why didn't they just go to the window? Because they're probably in a corner. Trying to get out of the house. Trying to breathe. You can't actually see in a yeah. house that's on fire. So so that's one of the great... So, like, even... Uh, there's one other fire that's invoked, which is in Cleveland. Um, and uh, I'm forgetting the name of the fire. The um, Collinwood Children's Fire. And so there was, like, well, the doors didn't open. It's like, no, actually they did, but the kids piled up in the stairway anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, no, kind of no matter what you... You freak out. You freak out. I was in... One house fire before, and I put it out. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I didn't freak out because I don't know something came over me. It was a kitchen fire. Someone put mm. a grease was on fire. They put a lot of water on it, and it just in, an inferno took mm. the whole kitchen, burned the curtains. It was terrifying. 
minutes away from just the house's no, point of no return. Everyone did what you're told to do. They just left. They all run out for their own safety. And I'm like, it's a Chicago block, house after house. I'm like, if I don't put this out, it might burn down the whole block. Yeah, yeah. And I was just running around under the flames, like running around the kitchen trying to find baking soda. Mm-hmm. And I, I got so lucky because my friend came back in the house. It was his house because I think he realized, like, oh, Ben's still in there. I should probably go see what's going on. <laughs> and it, the whole kitchen is just on fire. It was really crazy. But it was daylight, so I was able to see. And for some reason, he had this massive bag of baking soda, like this big one. And he just, like, opened up a closet, and he just had it, and I took it. And I just went under the, like, the flames are shooting out of the sink. Mm-hmm. And I just went through down there, and the flames just went, like, and it all just disappeared like a vacuum. Because, you know, it's drywall. It doesn't burn very easily. Yeah. But the cabinets were charred. The electrical lights were all gone. All the curtains and drapes were gone. And, yeah, moments away from it, you, you know, point of no return. But I remember, like, when everyone came back in, like, why did you stay in there? I was like, I don't know. I figured I had a couple minutes to try to put it out to save this house, yeah. other houses. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I Like, there's a point where you're like, I could still get out of this. Like, I'd see, I see both <laughs> exits. I think I get us. I got to try something. I wasn't really thinking. I just thought, like, I got to do something about this. But uh, it was terrifying, so I can't imagine being, you know, a kid you don't think is rationally. Yeah. And, yeah, you don't know. You might be trying to just breathe. The fire could be so bad you can't even grasp for air, you know? Yeah. But uh, it's fires. Yeah. It's a, it's not, not a good thing. And no. Costco saved your life. Yeah. With the giant thing it of It was a weird, <laughs> abnormal bag of baking soda. Like, I was, we needed that. Like, a little box. You yeah. know, I don't think it would have done it. Like, we needed yeah. this big one. And it worked well. And, uh... Yeah, his parents weren't too mad. We were having a party, but uh, I think they were just grateful the house didn't burn down. Yeah. But, um, wow, that's interesting. Do you, you find, it seems like you find some inspiration from destruction. I mean. I would I would say I do. Um, I think there's this, there's this thing about um, um, death and destruction in, uh, I mean, particularly, it's interesting, the notion of, like, the death of a child. Like, there's nothing nothing good about that. Um, but what's interesting is sometimes when people have a, a chronically ill child, there is, there, is a, there is a mercy-ness to it. That this is, you know, anyone who works in, like, an oncology um, ward of a hospital, there is a degree of, like, we're doing all this stuff, but to be honest, none of it's really going to work. Mm-hmm. So we're going to, you know, your kid's going to be bald and they're going to do this and do this. But basically, they're not going to reach eight. So that's just kind of the way it, it's going to go. So so that's like, you have to then, in this film, it's a, it's a kind of a weird thing, but that's one of the things that's part of um, one of the kind of like linchpin ideas is that a short life is worth living, which I, 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 I even have a character say that. Um, but... But there is something, and it, it pr- stems from Franny, this uh, 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 the um, child in my family that was hit by a car since she was three. Mm. And um, definitely a very short life, but I can't say it's not a life. Mm-hmm. It's a three-year life. And so you know, outlive many, many rodents. Um, but, you know, I have to somehow say, uh, and a, a friend, uh, I think one of the closest experiences I had was... Um, a woman named Freedom, um, I think she goes by her Greek name now, um, uh, and I'm not going to say it right, so those who know who Freedom is, um, but her her daughter passed away um, and was diagnosed with uh, 
uh, I'm, I think it started as retinal blastoma, but I'm not sure. But it was um, something that basically her this kid was sick basically their whole life, and I think she died at the age of six. Um, and it, you know, super dent, and and just and uh, and then she had another kid a few years, um, quite a few years later. Um, but it's I remember just feeling that so intensely. Even I didn't know this child. I didn't know this woman. I was just kind of like unconsolably sobbing outside this um, service. Um, but I realized that it was it was some sort of thing like that. This is. It's almost like a you know. You know, Christ dies for your sins, but this little girl is like dying, dying for like, um, like representing all these children that just representing Franny, you know, who I never met. And like somehow she becomes, it's like it, the floodgate of like loss, you know, mm-hmm. um, in the same way that you can, you know, you're sitting there and you're watching something and there's um, somebody on, on television starts crying and you start crying. And you're like, why am I crying? Because this person found their puppy. Mm-hmm. I have all the shit I've gone through in my life, but it's some sort of thing that you know, it it, it spreads over to you. But this was a very real feeling, um, and uh, but the the film kind of holds like there's a way that strangely enough that the film is a, is a bit of a dialogue with that child that I only met twice, um, in a dialogue with Franny. But also there's also the notion of you know my own mortality. Um, my kids are now adults and there is a point where I say to myself, neither of my children have died in infant mortality. Like, yeah, yeah like, uh, and you would really like think that at any, there's a very weird moment. Uh, my one daughter was hurt at school, not very badly, but for some reason the school counselor decided to call my ex-wife and say, hello, um, I'm calling um, about Sylvia. Uh, there's been an accident at the school. And uh, we called the ambulance and whatever. Went through all this and then said um, she fell in the playground um, and um, cut her head. She's fine. It's like, no, this is how it goes. Your daughter is fine. She fell in the playground. <laughs> ba- she did it backwards. She did it backwards. backwards. Yeah, so, absolutely like, backwards. Absolutely backwards. So, um, the, but but you always do. It's like oh um, oh where's oh she's not there not there okay been abducted. Yeah, <laughs> like as a no, parent you backwards. do that all the time. Yeah, it's funny that, that you said that last year. My friends were in a bad motorcycle accident, and they walked their bike back to the garage and. Um, one of their girlfriends was in the backyard, like doing gardening, and I walked in in the garage and I saw them like bleeding, just all banged up, but like they were fine. They like they were clearly going to be fine. They just had some problems, some road rash. They had helmets on, and I was like, I have to go tell this other person. So the first thing I told her because she um she like passes out, she sees blood, and I was like, you know, so and so and so are fine. They're going to be fine, but they got in a motorcycle accident. They have their helmets on. They're all good. But just know, like, they're banged up. And we're just bringing them to the hospital to make sure there's no internal problems. But they really are fine. They're talking. No no brain damage. Like, and that helped so much. Yeah. Although, if I said the opposite, she would have passed out just from talking about right, it. Right, yeah. They're bloody. It's a mess. Because it was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> she would have been, it would have been terrible. And I just started it with, like, they're fine. But this did happen. <laughs> this happened. So, so it's yeah. funny you say that. Because why would an adult say the opposite? Yeah. You know? It's yeah. the wrong way to go about it. It's... 
It's, it's like it sounds reminds me of like the news. They just you focus on the bad thing and then they work backwards. Yeah, that's and, that's that's, <laughs> that's uh, what the, was it called the the link the uh, the uh, hook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you gotta get them, hook them in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, so I'm uh, so this film that I'm this feature film that I'm making now um, is uh, it's called the Orbit of Minor Satellites and. It ends up being kind of about about the notion of 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 a child dying, um, and the the loss of that, the guilt of the the uh, the notion of survivor's guilt and things like that. Um, it's also about that um, kind of realizing that you are that we are mediocre, and that no matter where you, whatever you do in your life. You have it's a very good idea to accept that you are in fact still mediocre, and you will keep. It's like that, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the Alan Watts thing that he says. You know, in life, um, there are creatures below you, creatures above you, but no matter where you move, you'll always be in the middle. Mm. Like the middle is the only place that exists. Because mm. really, because if you go up towards that other way, that's just a different middle, mm-hmm. you know. But but that's how you know. Like I'm very grateful that I've been able to share my work and have um, have some people see it, you know. But it's very interesting because you know, like let's say, if I would say the best case scenario is that four hundred thousand people have seen my film. Probably the more likely scenario is that maybe 120,000 have seen it. But I realize that it's it's not like a Hollywood movie. Like mm-hmm. there aren't like millions of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so you have to you have to just admit that that's 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 cool and that's fine. It's it's that's 120,000 more than the next person who always dreamt about being an animator right. never did it. Right. <laughs> and it, well, and the other the thing that here's like here's the good thing about being an older artist is that the problems in your work are mysteries and exciting, whereas when you're young, they're like, you're like, oh, no, <laughs> what's wrong with my film? <laughs> yeah. Um, but the bad thing is that this sense of where you are in that middleness and the idea of achievement and non-achievement, it gets worse. Mm. So um, um, there is no <laughs> wrath like an artist scorned. Mm. So the so the sense of who um, who does well, who who doesn't do well, gets under people's skin worse than young people, which I, I was surprised to find. Really, um, you found that out just over time. You've realized yeah, it. So that you know, and it's. What it's, do you think that is? Just getting it, to the end. It's getting to. It's getting to the end. Not only not only has not only has this thing not happened, um, but it it's perhaps will never happen. Mm. But then again, what you have to say is that, well, no, you're just in that middle place. You're in that place, and mm-hmm. that's okay. And the person who's, quote, achieving is still in that place. So we're all in that place. Yeah. Um, but but I do know that, you know, I don't want to be, what was it? There was a visiting artist whose name I won't say because I'm going <laughs> to say something annoying about him. <laughs> he was presenting his work to a full uh, auditorium of people. He'd recently gotten some very public grant showing all the place. Someone said, so who's your audience for your work? He said, well, I make the work because of 
something that I feel inside, whether someone comes and sees it or whether someone, like, that's great, but it's really not important. It's just my relationship with the work. And I'm like, you're talking to 200 people. So why don't you at least admit that you do that you are being listened to, that something has happened. Mm-hmm. So you aren't this monastic creator. Mm-hmm. And that so I don't like when people kind of won't admit that like, oh, I've been give I've been giving the speaking stick. Yeah. You know, and, and that's great. I'm very grateful I have the speaking stick. And uh, you know, I just think it's silly. That's well said because I struggle with that. And the older I get, the more I talk to individuals like yourself who have so much more 30 years on me. Mm-hmm. I start to realize, like, I, I it's a bad mentality to get in that self-loathing, like, oh, I just do it for me. And I hide away, and I don't care who hears that I just do it. I had a problem with that for a while, but that's merely, that's really just like a depression, anxiety type of thing going on. And it actually is great when other people appreciate it, when people talk about it. Mm-hmm. The sheer fact that you're you're asked to come teach at a university or at an institution that I was asked to go do that. Like, oh, so it does matter. I do have a platform. Like, people do care. Mm-hmm. Um, people do want to come to a music festival. People right. do see your movie Criterion Collection, did want to pick up your film. Like, yeah. it does matter. There is a platform, and you should be grateful for it and do something with it the best you can and stop pretending like, like, what was my life? I'm just an artist. Yeah. Who, like, I, I, just, I just want it to be about me. I don't, I don't care what people think. It's like, Everybody cares what people yeah. think. Everybody. From top, bottom, middle, it yeah. doesn't matter. And I think it's funny because one of the moments, um, there are like people who have, you know, seen my work and like were super affected by it. And that's kind of amazing that um, that happens. Even my, my, my present partner came and stalked me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank goodness. Because um, she saw my film. And so, um, but, um, and uh, yeah, that was an interesting turn of events. So, um, but... I think that uh, there is this this notion that somebody heard what you meant to say, that weird thing you meant to say, and and it's um, I think one of the most pleasurable things is when someone you don't expect, like I had this one um, graduate student um, from China, her English was okay, not great, she drove me fucking crazy, and we would have and I because it was like everything I would say we just were had trouble communicating. She's like, I think I've I've had a lot of trouble drawing this week. And it's like, what do you mean you had to draw this week? (laughs) Um, But anyway, but, um, and her name was Jian Guan. And I had my uh, sabbatical show. And, you know, all these people who I knew, colleagues, artists, and people, like, oh, it's really cool, whatever. And Jian came up to me and said something really pointed and really like that she really heard what I was doing and I realized like how funny I thought all these other people would hear me but she hears me Mm -hmm. and that felt like really good Mm because it's like I realized that somehow we are actually in this um you know and she said it's this thing she said you know I realized that your film is about the notion of 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 taking care of something and the impossibility of that um, of giving care in the way that it's meant, you know, just something that was kind of very like something that I, in my dreams, people would pick that up in my film. Mm. So it was kind of an interesting moment of kind of like realizing like, well, that's, that's one of the great things about work. It's not necessarily the person who you are pretty sure is going to read what you say. Like I'm surprised when consuming spirits is, affects people who English is not their main language. Cause I think it's so wordy and it's so American even. Mm-hmm. 
that it's like, oh, it, there's actually a point of empathy from like these people. There's some people in Japan who are big supporters of the film. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, that's exciting that it worked. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, those are some of the best compliments. The really, the one offs, you know, I'm sure you had a handful of them where someone really goes into depth about something that your work did for them, yeah. something that you maybe forgot. That was your point. Maybe that wasn't even your point, and they still picked up on something, yeah. and they say something very deep. Not like, oh, it was a great film. It made me feel something. It's like they just go further and further, and you're like, that's what I do it for. Yeah. You know, when you get those, when right. someone, you know, messages you, like, oh, what you've done, like, ch- changed something for me. Yeah. Or it put me onto a different path. Like, that's, those are the ones that no one knows about because they're not public. No one wrote about that in the New York Times or right, the New right. Yorker. It's just a private message on Instagram, a yeah. one paragraph, and that's... That's the beauty of what, you know, gets me up to keep doing it. Like, it affects somebody. Right. Or something. And I'm sure you've gotten a handful of those, maybe yeah. a lot, you know. And it, and it is weird because the weird, like, there's a, um, I hope this place comes into my brain. It's a, uh, a film house that's in um, Columbia, Missouri, where Mizu is. Um, one of these interesting kind of art places in the world. Um, and I've met quite a few people who have gone to Mizu. And, um, uh, but someone actually said, watching this film made me live my life differently. And I was like, oh, my God. That is, that's a compliment. That's a compliment. So a compl- I, was, I was like, that's worth, okay, that'll do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that gives me another year to live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, wow. And, uh, yeah, it's yeah. not every day someone hears that. Yeah. And when they ask, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you making this art? Like, you're not, are you making money off this? It's like, what gives me extra years of life is when somebody I don't know yeah. tells me, you, you gave me a whole new way of living, a whole new trajectory, a whole new path. You, you inspired me to go to school for this, change my career, anything like that. And, yeah. you know, it's amazing. It's truly heavy to hear those things. Yeah. And I'm sure you've heard a lot from either students reach out to you in the past, you know? Yeah, we had, I mean, I remember um, I was very surprised. A uh, um, uh, good friend of mine who was a student of mine many years ago, Sean Buckalo, um, we were seeing his film and it said, for Chris Sullivan and uh, Clara Kim. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I think that's pretty amazing. Like, Because I, I have this, my weird thing about my, like, what I identify as my, my like, my psychosis is that I imagine that as soon as I leave the room, everyone goes, oh, finally. Yeah. <laughs> so I have this weird <laughs> thing that, like, in fact, even the people that I, that I think I know and love really can't stand me. Yeah. Or, and um, so this is a, uh, so it's good when you realize, oh, like that's, that's, that's amazing. Well, that also could just be your own battle with the ego. Like, does anyone even care that much that you would even think like, oh, when I leave, no one, everyone's glad I'm left. I've left. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they just go about their day still and they're grateful that, you, that you're in their life. They might not express it a lot. So you start to go to that place like, no one's really giving me the feedback, so maybe when I leave, it's because they don't like me, or when I leave, they don't care. And but it's yeah. a, unfortunately, it's also very classical for like the uh, your mom might say for the eleven children person. That, oh yeah, that you're like <laughs> what's that? It's like what's that kind of? Um, I'm a uh, I'm a, a soft watcher of um, the Steelers, who I don't like anymore. I don't like this year. Um, oh, the the football team. Yeah, yeah. Um, because they rehired their terrible quarterback. They were on a good path last year. Then kind something of a, happened. Well, they, they have a terrible quarterback, oh, okay. and, and he he has a he chokes every 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 uh, like final game. 
Sounds but, like the Bears too. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so like, but he chokes like like they're behind by twenty five points. Oh, okay. Ten minutes in, and yeah. it's like he has several interceptions, but somehow, but it, but it was also one of those things where it's like, is a very dirty. He has the job back because he's a white man. Mm. As a black man, he would have been out of there, mm-hmm. right? So it's like we, you know, oh, but he's our guy, or whatever. So it's very direct, but um, but anyway, but uh, but there's a term where they say next man up. So that when someone gets hurt, you know, and maybe that's a, but, but there's a way that next man up in a giant family makes you feel kind of like you're, you're just one of the cogs, one yeah, of the people. You don't and, matter. Yeah. Um, I mean, we did, I didn't have, it's very weird because there wasn't much aggression in my family, which, you know, very peaceable. When people say, oh, I fought like t- cats and dogs, my brothers and sisters, we d- really didn't do that. We had a blowout once every two months or something. Were you in the middle? I was, um, uh, next to the bottom. So, uh-huh. um, so uh, my one younger sister. Truly forgotten when you're on the bottom. Truly forgotten, yes. Especially with 11. But it also gives you all that, like, mental space, you know, to walk. It's like being a stranger in a city. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and uh, I like that. I like that space of being, you know, the invisibility. Um, invisibility is great when you can control it, you know, where mm-hmm. you could... <laughs> um, um, uh, so, but I, I enjoy invisibility in, in many ways and, uh, I don't know. So, um, but I think that what's going to be interesting to see, like, you know, as I'm putting this film together, as I see, but one important element of it is it has the, um, voice of Boris Karloff in it, which was an interesting development that happened as I was working on it. I was just listening to these old radio plays and I and I got so basically I I pull lines from radio plays and very luckily I actually got the blessings of his daughter um Sarah Karloff to do this I was very afraid to send this email and she <laughs> gave emailed me back very warmly and says you have my blessing and um um but uh I ha- one of my goals is I really want the film to be done for her to see it mm. um um she's I believe 85 now 84 85 so I hopefully her health is good and I'm, I'm I I I actually like I like that notion that you make something and you imagine so there's a woman named Michelle Cronel who runs the animation workshop in uh in uh Viberg Denmark it's an amazing place any animator will know about this but she was super affected by consuming spirits um and I want her to be as affected by my next film. Mm-hmm. Like, so she's another one of those people that kind of like made me realize, oh, this maybe I made something kind of powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I want Sarah Karloff to, to to be like, thank you. That's amazing what you did with my father's voice. So like, I wow. I would love that to happen. Yeah. I um, but it also means that I you know I want to have that um, you know that kind of sense of reverence. Um, and I think it's. It's very weird. Um, usually, Boris Karloff is playing somebody who's murdered somebody mm-hmm. <laughs> on the radio play, but then he's remorseful, and that passages about his remorse are uh, are are like it's just like any time you've broken someone's heart or you've, you know, like there she lay on the floor, helpless. Um, but you can turn that into some other notion. You know, um, so he hasn't, you know, usually he's strangled. People people get strangled a lot in radio plays, uh, <laughs> which is unfortunate because it's hard to make that on the radio. Yeah. 
It's like, I love that in like hard-boiled things when they kiss. And then the way you hear it on the radio is, maybe this will make a difference. Yes. It's like, because <laughs> kisses don't actually make any noise. Yeah. But, um. <laughs> they don't. You might get a little bit of like lip smack after. Yeah, but maybe. it's kind of like, or maybe this. <laughs> but, uh, so, um. But but it's also another really common theme in uh, in radio places. The woman did it, <laughs> um, and uh, but also someone has amnesia, mm. and so the notion of amnesia, the notion of realizing something, coming, seeing somebody who's you don't know who it is. Mm. So there's a line that's um, where Boris Karloff says, "I know that you're somebody that was once very dear to me." But he doesn't like recognize who this person is in the radio play. So, but I, I, I hope that in the film, I, I you know, you sense this, um, this idea of kind of how people kind of leave your life, how people, and how you have to kind of deal with that loss, but also how you kind of leave yourself. Like at some point, you kind of, um, um. Like there's a thing that I write in grants and stuff to describe the film. What's called the I say the orbit of the minor satellites is about the concept that we are all in orbit around some other larger body, um, whether it's a past or high. The name of the film? Yeah, it's called the orbit of minor satellites. Mm. Um, and a minor satellite is not quite a moon, <laughs> so mm -hmm. I like that we're all minor satellites. Um, and uh, um, um, you're in orbit around a historical event. Um, and then I say, and then I say, or most common, an orbit around the person you thought you would have become, mm -hmm. and eventually you have to let go of that orbit, uh, accept that orbit, or let go of it. Um, that you are in fact whoever you are at this present moment, and that that dream person um, will never come to be. And what's fascinating is, you know, when you think of when like. Um, famous people commit suicide, you realize, oh, that wasn't enough. Wherever they were, they still were like, I'm a fake, I'm a mm -hmm. phony, I'm a... So like that, that, that notion of self-loathing follows you no matter where you go. Mm -hmm. So you have to just say like, oh, that's, that's a normal state. Yeah. <laughs> Did it take be, being 60 and having experience to get to that headspace? Um, it, it, helped, it helped a lot to realize that, that consuming spirits almost did not work. And it could have not worked. It someone it caught someone's eye, just like a piece of music catches someone's ear, mm -hmm. and and that made all the difference. <laughs> that made all the difference. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but that but I also had um, I've gone I was diagnosed with cancer in 2016, prostate cancer, and I went through getting my prostate out, and then all the uh, intense things that go along with that. Um, the you can either uh, you can lose erectile function. You can lose um, continence. I've lost a degree of continence. Um, so I'm the, uh, there's a line, what's the line from Man of La Mancha? Hail, knight of the woeful continence. But um, I changed it a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> but then, but the cancer came back. And then I did radiation. And it's good. I'm good now. It'll probably come back in six or seven years. I could be, quote, cured. But I don't know. But that whole kind of thing, like, 
Like, oh, yeah, I'm not so special that I can't get cancer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no, there is no God waiting for me to finish my life's work. Yeah. No, it's just kind of like whatever. And I mean, I'm hoping, you know, I will be very happy to hit 80. Um, I will be satisfied to hit 75. I mean, I feel bad for the people around me. Um, I don't want to die in the next four years. You know, I don't think that's going to happen. So, um, but, but it was definitely one of those things of like, I am finite, and and that help that helps accept. And I have this thing that I really like: things to look forward to when you get older. When you're younger, you see something that blows you away, and you go, "Fuck, I'll never make something that good." And when you're older, you're like, "That was." blew me out of the water. Thank you. Do it again. You're just so grateful to get blown out of the water mm-hmm. and you you don't compare yourself to it. You just go like, shit, that, that felt good. Wow. You know, and I think that feels really, it's, again, there are things to look forward to. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. Did, did that change your work? It changed, uh, it changed my work in terms of, I do want to try to blow people out of the water. But I know that that's like, um, um, I don't know that, that, I hope that will happen. Here's a thing, I realize it will happen in places. And that's some, a good way to think about your work too. Like um, when you read a book, it's not like every single page blows you away. But even a book you love, every, tw- every 20 pages or every, there's like, oh, wow, that's a, that's a great moment. Or mm-hmm. a movie, you could, you could, uh, I, something I sometimes tell my students to do, think of your favorite movie and just for a minute, think of everything that's wrong with it. And mm-hmm. you'll realize there's tons of things wrong with it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, we never did figure out that. And yeah, and why was he? And, and, uh, and yeah, and that, that one, the one person that played the ki- child, I don't know. Uh, and they realize, but still, it's your favorite movie. Though it has all these wounds and all these flaws. Pro- flaws. Yeah. So I try to kind of remember that, that like there will be mo- there will be great moments in this piece I'm making, and I have to make it have cohesion that people can get all the way through it. Mm. Um, and and then, you think that could be getting to the point, to the answer, if you could ever get one of like love, like if you can, you know, you love somebody, if you could look at all the bad stuff, pick apart them, like you said, your favorite movie, mm. and st- like still love them anyways. Yeah, you know. Yeah. That's that's an interesting. I never thought about that. Yeah, actually. I mean, love is love is really interesting too because there's that, um, like there's there's a really interesting thing about like like my most likely time to be to have anxiety is right when I get up in the morning, and there is a really wonderful feeling that I look over and I see my partner Laura and I have no anxiety. Mm. Wow. <laughs> I feel the I feel the same way, you yeah. know. Um, yeah. Gone through pretty pretty rough relationship, and then you know now now meeting somebody new and s- similar feeling. And you know you you've probably been with your partner longer, but mm-hmm. yeah, I've never slept better in my life. Yeah. I've never like woke like awoke in a better state of mind. Yeah, and I'm I mean I'm only you know, I'm half your age, but it's different. It's different now. It's right. interesting. And it's also, it's not necessarily the person's fault who's next to you. It's just no. kind of like, you know, who are you? What have I done? Do we actually know each other or whatever? These kind of things that happen, 
that are, um, I mean, one of the things that I don't like about <laughs> um, present state youth is that no one just is like, yeah, it didn't work out. Everyone's like, they used me. Yeah. Or whatever. I They misled me. Or whatever. It's like, or whatever. It's never just like, yeah, it didn't take. No. Yeah. <laughs> the, it, it, like, whatever it was, wasn't fully sticking on all the parts. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just like, that's, it's just, it's loss and it's, it's, it's okay, but it's, uh, it hurts. It hurts. You know, whenever <laughs> I talk to people my age that they don't want to let go of the person or the relationship, because they go like, we're just so close. It, it's too hard. I'm like, yeah, you're, you're losing your best friend. Like, that's why it hurts. Like, just go think of like your platonic best friend and I'll probably same sex. Mm-hmm. Imagine you'd be like, all right, we're not going to be friends anymore. Yeah. It'd be devastating. Yeah. Now you just added romance, intimacy, sex, everything to it. It's, of course it's terrible. Of course it hurts for months, weeks, years, yeah. you know, like that's life. That's what it is. You know, like we were saying earlier, like, you know, young children pass away for no good reason. You know, some people, some people get cancer at five, some get it at 56, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, there's no rhyme or reason behind it. And so you have, you have to live Within now, you are in the middle. You you don't matter, but you do. Yeah. You know, it's it's a humbling thing to hear that from someone like yourself who's been successful in the art world, who's been a good career teaching, full-time career. It's good to hear that. I think everyone needs to hear it. So, you know, stunt the ego. Yeah. Because the ego won't do anything for you. You still, and I always say when people get big-headed ego or uh, arrogant about themselves, you know, yelling back and forth political jargon. I go, hey, guess what? I'm going to die just like you. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I'm going to be in the ground or burned or whatever just like you. I could be crushed in a car. Yeah. I could die at 90. I could be hit by a car. I could die from cancer. I don't know. But, yeah. like, no one's better than the next person. Yeah. We have to coexist. And it's, having that thought makes me appreciate a person a lot more. Yeah. A person. Love waking up next to somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, the little things. Letting people be their own individual, not not controlling things, l- learning how to lose all the control and just focusing on yourself, not in a self-centered way, but in a way where you know, you just start to know yourself better when you focus inward mm-hmm. and, and try to put that and like have it propagate outward to those around you. It helps a lot. And like you said, like one of your students said, like, thanks to Chris Sullivan. And mm-hmm. It's like probably, all you probably did was just teach them stuff for a couple classes, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. advise them. Mm-hmm. No, it's like, oh, why I wanted you to come here? Cause you're my advisor. You were never my instructor, mm-hmm. but I had such a good time talking with you. Like, you know, we'd go into the park by the mm-hmm. museum. It was always just so nice. I don't know. You always had good insight to stuff cause you were detached from my, my world. So you always had a good insight about, you heard me. And that's apparently, I didn't know this, but that's when you were diagnosed with cancer at that mm-hmm. time. I didn't know that. Yeah. So that probably even put more. <laughs> introspective into the thoughts and the words you said, you know. Well, it's very interesting uh, having a get. It's it's funny when you uh, when you're working with people and like there's also that question of like, you know, people are adults and people are and and like you 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 felt like an adult, mm-hmm. and some people felt like adult. I have some really wonderful students right this semester, and I've had kind of some rough years. I was um, blacklisted from uh, um m- students from my department wouldn't work with me and I didn't know what was going on and I used to be very popular and so, so I partly says well I'm old white male is that what it is but then there was like another old white male is doing fine and he's even older and whiter than me <laughs> but um and uh so I I was confused you know and I was trying to um but this year I have some really interesting people and uh kind of uh 
very interesting cosmopolitan uh, kind of just just really smart, interesting, quirky folks who are really fun to talk to. And, and I, feel, I feel like the, the conversation and they're what's interesting is they're all real kind of like cultural mutts, mm-hmm. uh, which I love. Uh, one of them's from um, Qatar, one's from Korea, uh, one of them's from Kenya. Um, and they're here very different directions, but it's like, you know, it's, uh, it's the one from Korea. I'm amazed. Like her English is just so amazing, but she has those beautiful moments where she says like, because I'm British, I, I use like words like tragic and, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, so she'll just uh, say, so this suddenly some musho piece and she'll say, ah, oh, that's exquisite. And I just like, it's like, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's just these words that people don't use that often. But um, but it's very interesting because sometimes I, here's a weird thing. I sometimes really wish I was not an animator and didn't find animation. Um, because though it's what I'm known for, it's it's the most inefficient way of making work <laughs> there is. So in, in my life, let's say I finish this feature and I don't suddenly die. Um, I will, my entire body of work will be five hours. So that will be a 40 year career. <laughs> five hours of work. Um, oh, it's intense. That's brutal. Yeah. So, uh, I think, uh, so, but it also is loud as I, as I'm working with somebody, um, and it's very interesting, uh, um, oh, another student from India, um, and the student from both Kenya and India are trying animation for the first time and they're both incredible at it. It's because they found it for the right reason, which is their work led them there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they're just kind of like naturals and like, whoa. Um, the other ones have been trying to animate. So, um, but, but it's very interesting to kind of like if I had been a – I was a performance artist when I was young and I even had like a, a public practice as a performance artist. I, you know, played in major um, performance venues like Franklin Furnace or Lace. And Where were you performing? I do, I still do this. I do, they're basically experimental theater pieces. They're very language-based. Um, there's props. There's, mm-hmm. They're kind of done in this kind of um, persona, semi-acting, semi-just talking. Um, one of the weird things that I don't like about film and animation is film is that it has a lot of rules. And strangely enough, stage doesn't have as many rules rules can you elaborate like let's just say you have a dialogue going and suddenly you go uh, you stand up and you say there are three men sitting on a chair i'm thinking about them right now if you do that on stage people are like okay that's cool if you did it in a film people are like what Mm -hmm. what what a ponderous like obvious breaking of the whatever wall yeah you know um, so I, I want to try to make that happen in film, but it's kind of like, I don't, I think I'll run out of time before I achieve it. Have but, you ever written uh, a theater play? Yeah. yeah. So I've heard, but not, but not that's been performed by someone else. Mm-hmm. I just finished one that I did with, uh, Blair Bogan that I really liked that I feel like, I feel like the script is strong enough that just someone else, two other people could do it. Mm-hmm. I think some of the other ones, they needed my tone or my, um, twist but this one feels like i can like hand it to someone and say go do this play yeah um, it's stars um um jesus and mary in a trailer park 
Yeah. Really? Yeah. When when do you plan on having that become a thing? Um, it's it's already happened. It's in the past. Oh. Now, but and it also happened. What was it called? It was called God and the Monkey House. Wow. And uh, I would love to see that. Yeah, I could I could send you a link to it, but uh, um, I think it might even still be public on my Vimeo channel. But okay. Um, but strangely enough, it started, and and this is actually an interesting link back to that idea of Sarah Karloff seeing my film. There was a woman. God, her name is suddenly escaping me now. Jaffe? She was a theater person, and she actually, uh, she got diagnosed with cancer. And she had a piece that she did. I found a card for, and it said, um, um, curing cancer with comedy, a stage for, curing uh, a stage for comedy. And is a picture of her bald and a woman who I then realized was her partner um, who was on stage with her and they did this piece. So I, in my cruel mind, had this idea. Okay, um, since Jesus gave her cancer, Jesus decides he's going to go see the play. So he sees the play and he comes back and talks to Mary about the play. Um, and one of the questions Mary says, well, if you loved it so much, then, like, are you going to, are you going to cure her? And he's like, mm, no. <laughs> um, and so, but I'm writing the play, doing the production. Then I see her obit. Mm. So she dies. So then I say, this play, get choked up. Sorry. <laughs> the, this play, her partner has to be able to see. And say thank you. All right, so sad. Um, and I actually I did email her to say you know if you feel ready. So yeah, but I would that, and it's interesting. She would have to see the whole play um, to see kind of where it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but so that's where the performance went. And so it was another thing like this thing that in some ways had some irony to it. Has like what if you make it? What if you're less? cancer play is bad so that was part of where my mind was but then it's kind of like no that can't be what this is about this this has to be about and so it ended up being that there's a bad review but the review she likes it because the review reminds her of what it's like to have cancer Mm. that you're you're on a stage and you don't know your line and you don't you know so so kind of one of these things but in some ways that idea that when she passed away um, it was it was like well now this thing this thing has to have this reverence that I foolishly was not maybe thinking it needed to have you know so I you know I I hope that her partner sees it I did see her partner and her daughter on a train and I and I kind of wanted to say something and then I realized no they're strangers mm-hmm. and so I made this piece about these people who are strangers wow but. Um, but, I, but I'd be happy for them to see it. I hope she sees it someday. That's a very fascinating concept. Yeah. Wow. But, um, but yeah, so I do performance. And yeah. also, by the way, the performance is 90 minutes long. takes me a couple months to write it. takes me a month to prep it. And uh, Blair Bogan, who performed in it, is amazing. And she also co-wrote parts of it. Um, so, but, so if I was a performance artist, I would probably have 40 hours of work. <laughs> To you, show for my career. <laughs> are you working any more performance pieces? I did. Pieces? Um, I'm, I'm working on a, a diary of the film, which I did kind of perform uh, two years ago. It was interesting. But uh, 
I I think when I'm done with this film, I'm, I might I have these ideas to do um, some puppetry pieces, and um, it's a uh, a concept that I have that uh, that there's no build up, so it's it's going to be called Act Three, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're just going to be dropped in. And they're going to be these little 10, 15-minute tableaus that unfold. And it's, a, it's weird, the things that I know I'm going to do. I want to do um, James Triptree and uh, Anthony Bourdain in Purgatory. Oh, wow. Because you know that whole idea that if you commit suicide, you go to Purgatory? So yeah. I, I think of all these artists that I love who are also hanging around in Purgatory. And I don't even have a st- st- close relationship to Anthony Bourdain, but, um, but for some reason, I know I'm going to make an Anthony Bourdain puppet. You're going to make a James Trip treat, and they're going to talk to each other. Hmm. Um, <laughs> That's such a fascinating thing. So it'll be fun. So it'll be like marionette show. And I think I'll film it. Uh, so it'll it'll still be media. Yeah. Um, I kind of like the control of that. Did you always have these concepts of death because of, like, your your sister and other people who passed away in your family? Or was it the last, you know, five years with the cancer. No, death has always been there knocking at the door. Uh, they have, it's funny though, I do feel like death is around. There's the, uh, the famous, uh, uh, um, Charles, Charles, sorry, um, Transtromer. I can't think of Transtromer's first name. Um, Transtromer, the poet, <laughs> Swedish mm. poet. Um, his, uh, he has a film that says, um, in the middle of life, death comes and takes your measurements. Um, the moment is forgotten, um, but you know that he's um, somewhere around sh- sewing your coat on the sly. Oh, wow. Very, very nice thing to think about. So there is a certain <laughs> kind of thing where it's kind of like, hey, Death, how you doing? Good, Doing good, Chris. It's cool. Don't worry. Yeah. I'm around, but I'm not like right, like immediately around. Yeah. I'm just like in the yard. Yeah. Um, but I had a, you know, there was Franny that died. I had a brother that died of cancer, um, leukemia, when I, and I was eight oh, wow. at that time. And he was, um, I guess he was 19. Um, my father died the year before. And his definitely, his death was definitely like a closure. Like he was a sloppy alcoholic. And, but he was also an amazing person. Like he was super smart. He was like worked for U.S. steel workers. He was like a, he knew many languages. So he'd talk to all the union people um, and whatever language. Was they, it from the alcohol that got to him? Um, it's hard. It's a little unclear. I'm still curious to find his birth certificate. I mean, his death certificate. Um, he was, he, he did have, had been beaten up also. Um, so it could be a mixture of many things. Could be a brain injury. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's kind of weird. It's like, it'd be interesting to finally realize, oh, your father was murdered. But you've been like having this, just idea that he just kind of died of cirrhosis or whatever. Because mm-hmm. um, you don't die of cirrhosis like immediately. Yeah, it takes time. Yeah, so, um, but uh, but he's that's definitely, and he died when he was 52. Um, so that that's a very missed opportunity of like, I think he would get certain things about what I'm trying to do mm-hmm. um, that some of my other family members, they, they appreciate, but they don't, they don't have the same kind of degree of empathy. It's interesting, my sister Judy, I feel like she's, work she's coming back to this empathetic relationship with with art and we might do something together something collaborative she's 60 uh she'll be 65 this year mm. um it's weird when your brothers and sisters in the 60s and 70s it's like yeah I'm, I'm the youngest and we're all in our 30s and yeah <laughs> it's it's going to get more interesting as we go yeah uh, um, i don't well, want i want to yeah. find out but i don't yeah you know that's yeah. heavy yeah, well, having a thirty-year-old daughter is uh, it's gonna be it's pretty interesting. So it's like, uh, 
it's uh, it's it's something that changes your your notion of things. Um, but yeah, I want to do um, I want to do things a little bit more episodic or open ended. I, I don't want to be chained to any thing for a long period of time ever again. So I also also like again, I, I've had my say. And I've, I've been able to speak for quite a while, and I'm, I, I would really love to be able to open doors for other people. That's not as easy as one thinks, nor do I want it to be that easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes in, in film, uh, it might be this way, it's just this way in literature, the difference between just being able to s- tell someone, hey, you might want to give this film a look. That's all. You can't say, hey, I know this person, they made this wonderful piece. You, really, you, you can just say, hey, I saw something really cool. I'm going to keep your eye out. I think you'd it. like it. Yeah. I think you'd like it. It's all you can do because when people are in this kind of curatorial position, the worst thing they, the last thing they want is someone pressuring them to mm-hmm. like something. Mm-hmm. But it is a giant desk of mm-hmm. things coming in and something. And even Tribeca, um, I had one person, there's a, there's a, there's a certain uh, line that you hear from, uh, if you're trying to get your film into festivals, it's like, we're still waiting to hear from so-and-so, which means somebody hates your film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so in other words, we're still trying to convince him. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's who they're trying to hear from. But um, but I know that, for instance, uh, there's a guy named John Gartenberg who is in Tribeca. But um, Bruce Jenkins, who I work with. I had him for two classes. Okay. I so, loved him. He was yeah, wonderful. Okay. I know that he said, hey, John, there's a th-, And he may have not said it for the right reason because he was like it's shot on 16 millimeter Mm -hmm. so but john loves that yeah but that's that tiny little door that maybe without that nothing would happen and so Mm -hmm. i mean unfortunately things are that subtle like you know that you have to that tiny little door opens that tiny little somebody sees something um and i wish it was different but it's not you know and, and it's one of the great you know flaws of what like students get to see is, you know, they, they watch a Tarkovsky film and they go, oh, okay, I can like fuck around for the first 15 minutes. And it's like, no, okay, you have to watch Mirror. And you watch his earlier films are much more conventional hooks to get you in. Yeah. That's why. But now he can mess around for 10 or 15 yeah. minutes. Yeah. But, but Happens can't. all the time. Yeah. But, you know. but you can't do it. No. No. <laughs> so, I, I always tell people when they're like, well, so-and-so doesn't promote on Instagram and so and so doesn't like push the music. That's because it's Radiohead. Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. Tom York doesn't have to. <laughs> yeah, like listen to Pablo Honey. It was a straightforward rock record. Yeah. The Benz too. But then you get to Kid A. They're already millionaires. They have a six album deal with BMI. They don't have to do those things anymore. They could do whatever they want. Right. You wouldn't start off with Kid A. You know, there you, you would never start off with that out the gate. You would never get noticed by anybody. Right. Especially in the year two thousand. Right. But like certain bands, certain artists, certain musicians, certain actors. You know, I always say when. Actors are in like a Marvel movie, like a big billion dollar movie, and then they do some art films, art house films. It's like be like, oh look at that. It's like yeah, it's because they have ten million dollars in the bank. They can go do whatever movie they want now, right. and they get to go down and work backwards and do these films that make nothing. And it's a good thing, but it's like yeah, they they have the luxury yeah. of doing such things. They don't need the paycheck from that. They're just right. having fun, you know. Well, it's interesting that you know John Cassavetes films, and he's definitely one of my favorite filmmakers. It's because of Rosemary's Baby and the Dirty Dozen that he can do that, mm-hmm. right? So he gets paid his serious salary there, and, and it, you know none of his films broke even, mm-hmm. you know. And but there, um, there's a wonderful. By the way, you know sometimes things suddenly pop up. Any John Cassavetes fans out there? My favorite John Cassavetes film, which is nobody else's favorite John Cassavetes film, is called Love Streams. 
there's a documentary called I'm Almost Not Crazy. And it's like a 60 million, and it's the shooting of Love Streams. And you hear him talking about what he, um, how he makes stuff. And he actually says this thing, and I'm like, thank you, John. He says, people want to make, people are interested in war. People are interested in all this politics. Whatever. I just care about love. That's mm. it. Just love. And it's like, yeah, that basically gets down to, that's what I, you know, I may have these other strappings, but that's all I'm talking about. It's like, you know, you know. And also this notion, I always have this, one of my kind of obsessions in my art is um, everyone can love, but is that love accepted? You know, so are you spurned or are you embraced in that love? Um, there is, uh, I even made a performance once about, about this that was kind of very interesting. It's that thing that the Wizard of Oz says to the Tin Woodman that's a really bad piece <laughs> of philosophy. And remember, my fine friend, a heart is not judged by how much you love, but by how much you are loved by others. And it's like, is that a good piece of advice? <laughs> it's like, it sounds a little bit uh, yeah, like, like you want to have an ego, like I need people to love yeah, yeah, me yeah. So it's kind of So it's kind of like, well, actually, maybe you you should be judged by how much love you give out. But it, but on the other hand, it's kind of, it, there's a truth to it, mm. that you're like the... Uh, a broken heart is love that doesn't land. Love that, you know. Oh, yeah. Or it's like, um, you know, I love you. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't love you back. You know? Like, mm -hmm. And, uh, and of course, that happens when you want someone to be. But but on the other hand, it happens in friendships. It happens in, you know, someone. Uh, it's very interesting when I meet someone who is, like, very sweet but in some way repellent. And I'm kind of like, that's really mean. That's really mean of whoever makes humans that this person is somewhat repellent. Mm. Um, whoever makes humans, we, yeah, we haven't yeah, gotten yeah, to God. Yeah, yeah we haven't got that. We haven't got to God. But, um, but I don't know. I think that, um, you know, the fact that someone might fall in love with you, that there are many people that walk around their life feeling like no one's going to fall in love with me. Um, and then it happens, but it doesn't always happen. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I feel that way all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's very grateful to have, you know, have that warmth and, um, you know, have you know, even even the notion of, like, you know, is one attractive, you know? Um, I know that I'm not, like, a gorgeous person, but I know that, like, I'm not going to be, like, I've, I've, got a, I've got a decent, <laughs> like, you know, uh, face, that's warm enough that I could perhaps with this face <laughs> engage and trying to get someone to fall in love with me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, isn't it funny you have to try too? <laughs> that's the one thing they don't tell you. It's like, yeah, yeah, one day you'll fall in love with it. They forgot. Like you got to put in 20 years of experience. <laughs> you got to learn a lot from your parents and past relationships. You got to trial and error. Yep. You got to like really put in, like it's an active active effort to like have a relationship and to have love it just for those who don't try they'll never get it they'll never be loved either yeah you really have to put in a lot is um the name consuming spirits has that come from this notion of the death that you've experienced in life it's it's a definitely a pun it's like drinking of course consuming spirits but mm -hmm. also the idea of consuming ghosts consuming it's in this that piece it was uh, consuming is kind of about the one's past. Mm. Um, one thing that I'm kind of enjoying about this new film, even though there still is like a, a childhood event or a past event that's highlighted, 
um, that it kind of, it leaks into the present moment very much. And I also, I decided that my films were filled with so much longing that I wanted to, I wanted to have some serious making out in my new animation. <laughs> and there is, there's some... Like, uh, like kissing? Kissing. Okay. And there's a, it's funny, Olivia Rogers, um, who I think is the saucy of, sauciest of us uh, animators on board. So I knew it's like, I want you doing the kissing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but she's great. So we did, but it was funny because the way that I do this film, which is weird, is that I have these these models and I kind of puppet them and we use those. We still have to draw all the frames, but we use those as our models. And so I took these two heads and I had, let's say I'm holding these two heads and I had, I, I kind of like was trying to get like the most sexy kiss I could out of mm-hmm. these two. But one of them was made of plaster. So I knew that I had to be really careful. I'm like going to tear the nose yeah. off. So, um, but then that was kind of the anchor point. And then, the, but then the hands and stuff come, um, but I just wanted to, and I have some actual love making. I don't have a, it's really hard to like, what I find funny is hardly anyone can get a good pelvic thrust in a film. Like, just think about it. You can't, I can't think of a, a pelvic thrusting kind of mm-hmm. shot that really, sometimes like the writing shot works, mm-hmm. but even then there's something, and I still still think that gets down to this primal level of privacy. Well, it's not real. It's like, not. We know that it's, it's not it's actually not, happening. It's not real, but it's but it's still also something kind of like well, that's that's between that's between two people. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but but I really do want to. I, I'm doing my best, so I have I have some like touching and rolling and some bodies and um, but I definitely thought that I didn't have to hold back on kissing. So there's kissing and snuggling, and so I'm really kind of forcing myself to animate that um, like that. Enough of this longing, like I want. I want to actually have, have love land. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also kind of interested in these weird other ways we touch ourselves, just like when we're by ourselves or yeah. when you're upset or you know or even like like I've always been really curious about this one. It's like a little prayer face. Mm-hmm. I do that a lot. Yeah, but it's usually some. You usually saying okay, it's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> a calming thing. It's a calming thing. Yeah. yeah. And then when you get like this, that's not as okay. <laughs> and sometimes you have to come back up. It's going to be okay. This <laughs> is my, I do this a lot, the thinking. Oh, yeah. The pondering. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. yeah. Yeah. I don't know which ones I do. Um, I do this sometimes. My character's doing the knuckle thing. That sometimes you, you, because I mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so have some of that animating. But, uh, but yeah, body gestures are, are kind of, um, they're really important and I, I, it's funny one of my goals in some of these like tableaus that I will make in the future is I do want to do something that is less reliant on language which is hard because I'm really a writer and I love to write but but, um, but I realize that you know there's that space when no one's talking when there's silence that I, I don't I'm trying to I would like to do in my films I, I, I must confess con- uh, consuming spirits is tons of talking. Um, 2,400 and something lines. Wow. Because I had to do the subtitles. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, subtitling is really fun, by the way. <laughs> it's, well, it's also like, it's what, uh, there's, there's one friend I have who annoys me a bit because she's quite successful and she'll see stuff like, I am exhausted in another, <laughs> another hotel in some city I don't know at another festival. 
Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you poor thing. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> first world problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, when you have to subtitle a film, it means that somebody wants to show it in another country, which is good. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So, doing the like, I have a, a hard French and Spanish subtitling, um, and I have a hard Japanese subtitling. So, it's kind of cool. Um, but it, it means, uh, you know, that's cool. It's, you have to type out 200 and. Or two thousand two hundred and forty yeah. lines, and you do yeah you do a thing where you could you do like a a log thing that shows the video out point and in point of the um, and so then you do have to have picture log, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but uh, but it, it's 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 quite nice. But I think you know order of minor satellites is also very language heavy, and actually as I'm going to be editing and finishing up the next over the next year. Um, still animating stuff, but editing while I'm animating. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna try to learn to say, you know, that's enough talking. Stop, mm-hmm. stop the talking. Um, you know, tr- let I trust that people will hear the image and feel the image. How are you doing the the foley work or the ADR or the sound? Um, I do that by just watching a section of it. Um, and sometimes, if it's something physical, I will I would just know what the scene is and do it without looking at picture. But if it's something very so I, think, I mean, this is something that I do. Just this is just a technical thing, but it's very helpful. I also um, do a thing where I I tap on the mic, on the cut, mm-hmm. so that because when you're doing clothes or something, it fits almost anywhere. Mm-hmm. But there's one place where it fits perfect. So that way, I always have like a tick, or I'll go. So you you do your own sound design for it? Yeah. Wow, and, that's cool. Yeah. And what about, how many like voice actors are there? I have there's quite a few. So there's um. Uh, TJ and Sylvia are the main voice um, but then there is Boris Karloff there's Frankie Kruvan who's the young um, actress um, there is Jared Larson who's also a ma- another major character um, and then there is Natalia, Natasha uh, Mulrovi who is a, a new but very important character um, the film is um, about a third in Russian Oh, okay. So there's why, why is that? It's like an it's like an American Russian space station. American. <laughs> yeah, and so they uh, it's an imaginary one, but but it's it's good historical fiction. So I have I I may, it's it's kind of possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they launch from Bakanor, which is the uh, Russian version of I think it's in Kazakhstan now. I'm not oh, okay. completely sure, but it's um might still be in Russia, but um it's a uh, it's their kind of Cape Canaveral. And uh, but there was a disaster space thing like the platform. Blew, whoops, oh, sorry, you're good. Blew up, <laughs> and then uh, the uh, but um, but I'm pretending it did blow up and stuff. But the rocket actually took off, <laughs> which uh, there isn't definite evidence that that didn't happen. So, uh, and there are definitely people that were burned up in the fire that whose bodies they never found. Well, that's because they're on the rocket. So, um, so it's like ends up being this finite group of people um it's very interesting i end up actually doing a perf- this kind of came from a performance that was called um uh the outer giants and their moons um and sasha samachino who speaks russian uh, performed with me in it and so we had these english and russian things and i like the idea that there's this other language that is in it and that some of the characters are don't speak each other's language so, mm-hmm. so that's kind of a but um, but um, Natasha who's playing um, 
Rosemary is the name of the the young actress in it. And you guys, if you want to, you can check out this film by looking at. If you, I, I'm afraid that if I change the name of my website, it'll mess up. So I made it while I was doing a Kickstarter. So it's called orbitkickstart.com. <laughs> but I think you can still find it by looking up the orbit of minor satellites. But it has little things on how the film is doing and how it goes. But um, but it talks a bit about the Russian narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting is that, and this is that getting back to that kind of picture lock thing, um, this the parents in this film were not articulated in the script until just a year ago. And I realized, what is this Russian thing besides me being a substitute? And it's like, oh, her mother is Russian. Her father is American, just like my mother was British and my father was American. And that that division never was something that was deep in my head. Um, so I have her singing uh, this song. Um, uh, and I was hoping to get this Russian actress who was actually a pianist. Her name's um, Ludmila Bolinskaya. Um, and she was a young actress in this uh, Russian film called the, uh, uh, the Great Space Adventure. And I kind of looked her up and now she has this musical career. Uh, hmm. which is kind of fascinating. She lives in France. and um, But I, I think I think if I send her one more email, that's an official um, stalking. So uh, <laughs> well, she did say, I'll think about it. But, uh, but she didn't say, I thought about it. And I've said, no, she just has not been responding. So, uh, But it'd be really wonderful to have her do part of the voiceover. But I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but I did have uh, Natasha sing this theme song that she sings in the movie as a lullaby. Hmm. So there's there's always musical anchors in my film, and that's something I think will always continue. They're, well, you're a very musical person. You I'm play musical. instruments. Yeah, and I kind of like the way they kind of make things happen in other films that I like. Um, you know, I really like you know even someone like Rachel Portman, or who's like a soundtrack person, or um, um, Max. I can't think of his name. Um, very very well known. Which film? Uh, many things. Uh, he, uh, Richter, Max Richter. Um, so he did, um, soundtracks for so many films. One of my favorite soundtracks he did is actually for Waltz with Bashir. Mm. Um, so Max Richter did the sound, and that, that soundtrack really makes that film happen. Um, uh, but, uh, but I, uh, and the notion that there are themes, that there are music, musical elements, and they become kind of, places we can kind of walk through it's funny there's a lot of uh rules that people have you know uh, i teach in an experimental department so people say like i feel like i'm being kind of emotionally pushed by the music and i'm like yeah that's good whatever you need to do (laughs) yeah you use you know you use music you use beauty you lose use anger use whatever you need to do to make the thing have an emotional life Mm -hmm. um so it's funny when people say that, like, <laughs> or tension. Yeah, you know when there's very abstract yeah. uh, minor chords, you know, yeah. seventh chords, like tension in music makes for so much for the film. It speaks volumes. It, it it says what the actors and the scene isn't saying, but what they want to say. You know, yeah. it's underlining it. It's very necessary. And I don't know. I like that stuff. I like the daunting strings and the uh, clashing chords. You know, more avant garde sound scores you know film yeah. scores yeah 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 and it's it's interesting also when there's like these little these passages of of beauty that kind of 
come back. I often, it's interesting, I, I often describe to my students uh, Paris, Texas, which I think would not work at all without Rykuter. Um, I think that it's like that the music is almost the narrative and the picture is the music mm. in, in some films. And I think, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think it can be really wonderful when that happens. Um, I had one very interesting experience with art, and you have to keep let me know when we should stop. No, we're good. Goes. But um, the uh, is that whatever you're making, only a certain amount of people can hear it, will like it. And I had a very good experience where I went to, I was watching Russian stuff just because I wanted to kind of get the taste. And I went to see a film by Alexei German Jr. called uh, Under Electric Clouds. And I watched it and I was like, yes. All right. You hear me. Here, this is one of my allies. This is what this is what I want to feel like when a film is done. It's like, I go, well, I'm going to tell people about this film. I'm going to send them a link. Mm-hmm. So I open up. I go on the internet. Pan after pan from the European critics, from all these people. Can't even see it in the U.S. at the moment. So it's like, okay. That tells me something. I love this film. Many people do not. Therefore, even if I make the film I really want to make, much like <laughs> Under Electric Clouds, um, it's still going to touch only certain people. And I'm probably a much weirder filmmaker than I think. <laughs> you know, like I'm not, I'm, I'm not a crossover filmmaker probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I sometimes want to imagine that I am. But it was very interesting realizing that, you know, I really love that film I, and I totally understand it. This is the other thing that happens to me when people are like, oh, that was so confusing. I'm like, I was not confused at all by, yeah. that, by that crazy thing. Yeah. So I realized that at some point you have to realize that all you can do is is like articulate um, in kind of a brave and open way whatever you want to make, um, but you you can't control its reception and you you just, you have to hope and I, and I um, you know, uh, but... I mean, it's very interesting, like, uh, you know, when I talk about these films that disappear, um, there's a wonderful film from uh, Saudi Arabia, a woman director called um, Scales. Very interesting, experimental, uh, important film. I don't see it. And you think at this moment, like, oh, an, an Arab female film director? People, <laughs> so hopefully it will rise back up but you know these wonderful pieces of work disappear yeah um and that's and it's it's a particularly it's a it's about like you know position of women um and but it's it's a it's a it's a fiction um it's kind of like this weird almost medieval fiction i almost like something like um uh titus grown which is a very experimental interesting um film uh maybe it's just called titus um, by, sorry, the woman that directed The Lion King. <laughs> oh, The New stage. Lion King? The one on stage. Uh, oh. Ju- Julie Tamer. Okay. It's a Julie Tamer film. Really weird film. But it's kind of like that kind of weird film or like a Peter Greenway kind of film. Um, but yeah, it's interesting too. You think of someone like Peter Greenway, you know, we're in art school, so we think that Peter Greenway is a very successful filmmaker. Probably not. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he's. Like, I'm sure he has a modest home somewhere. You know. Yeah, it's people always think they go to like David Lynch. So yeah. well, David Lynch is like, he had Elephant Man. He got nominated for awards. Like he had things that got him to where he could still keep making 
the avant-garde stuff, the interesting stuff. But he's not, that's not a good example. There's a million other artists who are not going to have that. There's like one in a million chance that yeah. someone could be that obs- obscure and still have a very, very successful career, you know? Right. You have to, you have to find that mainstream. Right. And my favorite musicians are um, good, but Marge, somebody I've been getting into, I don't know if you've, have you heard Anna Calvi? Mm. Oh, she's just amazing. Um, but I realize it feels like Anna Calvi's disappearing a little bit. She's only been performing for about eight years. Super cool. Somewhere between, she even mentions Patti Smith. But she says, one thing I really like about her is her personality is not her art. So she's this very, like, vixenish, intense person on stage. Mm-hmm. And she says she's really inspired by Patti Smith. Her energy is maybe a little bit like um, Alison Goldfrapp, a little bit like Joan Jett. But then you interview her, and she's like, well, when I was young, I had a guitar, and I uh, I really liked Jimi Hendrix, and, mm. and um, so I don't know. But I guess when I'm on stage, I'm suddenly brave, and I can do anything. Huh. And it's really interesting because people always think that their art is like their personality or mm-hmm. who they are. And it's like, not necessarily. Yeah. You know, like, for instance, I'm not a, I'm, I'm a little, I'm gloomy and melancholy at times. But people sometimes meet me and like, oh, it's such a relief. I thought you'd be so depressed. <laughs> it's like, no. <laughs> yeah, I've never experienced that with you. It's always yeah. been pretty positive. Yeah. You know, yeah. 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 And Tanita Tikram is another person who's been making music for 40 years, but she's still a marginal artist. Um, you know, uh, somebody who's, uh, you know, I love her work. I think, you know, probably my m- one of my favorite musicians who's probably most visible is Mark Knopfler. But what's interesting is what Mark Knopfler wants to do isn't really what people want him to do. <laughs> so his, like, weird historical narrative albums people don't love, um, you know, and uh, I think they're really interesting. I really like them. Mm. Uh, but I kind of like everything he's done. I really, I love his, the album he did with Emmylou Harris is amazing. Um, but it's, it's interesting to see um, you know, what do, when you make your work and you have, you, let's say you do have the speaking stick, there is a thing where you can do something kind of weird. But if you, and if you do that, you will lose some people, but it's, it's always important. You know, you want to be successful with the actual you that you are. Yeah. So I think that, you know, even though Mark Knopfler is like a rocker, he really wanted to make these weird historical ballads. And anyone who's, if you're a big Mark Narflow fan, you know what I'm talking about. Like, look up his song about Sonny Liston. I love that song. Mm. It's like, um, and, uh, uh, but he he makes a song about the Mason-Dixon line creation. Like, it's like, what yeah. the line? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you, um, do you ever find yourself struggling with being always relevant at every age of creating work in the world of... A film or in the art or animation or like growing older mm. not being of the 20s and 30s like my age where everyone's like yeah. in it we're in the scene we go to these places well yeah. pre-covid you know we're at the galleries and the bars and the poetry readings and all that stuff or do you actively put yourself into that so you can always kind of understand I, it i put myself um i put myself in it and i try to and i definitely you know i'm always i always keep my eye out for the young people who are um, making their their way and, and and it's it's fascinating also when a young person has an incredibly mature ver- voice. Uh, there's a film coming out of a lot of great stuff coming out of Poland for some reason I don't know why, mm. but there's an animator uh, the, a wonderful animation called um, Kill It and Leave Town that I think will get a life. It got hit during COVID. Beautiful film, but um, 
There's a film called I'm Here, and it's a puppet animation of like an old woman basically dying in bed. And everyone's around her taking care of her, but you never see their heads. Sounds really like a bad idea. <laughs> it's a really powerful film. And so I got to Polish? Oh, it's Polish. And I said, I'm going to look this. She's winning awards and stuff. And so I got to look. Oh, here's an interview with her at festival. And there's a girl sitting. I mean, like a 21-year-old, a 22-year-old. Oh, wow. Like, you know, and just like, how did you know? And then she ends up like, oh, yeah, my grandmother, you know, was dying in the house. And like, she has this experience that she's channeling. Yeah. So, uh, but beautiful film. Um, but the only place, it is usually music venues where I am, where I do get the look of who's the creepy guy dancing. So, um, <laughs> who's the creepy guy dancing? <laughs> and I really, it's funny, at, um, what is it, at the hideout? Yeah. There's this really, uh, really bizarre man. Everyone will know who I'm talking about. He's a, a, a black, short black man. He's, he's a, little, uh, a little intense. He's always bouncing around. And I'm feeling like, who is this weird, crazy guy? And then I'm locking, um, I'm walking, uh, I'm watching, some, it was something at Piano Forte. And I'm saying, it's a concert with, I know it was my friend, um, Olive actually knows this guy. He's talked to this guy. Um, and this guy does, he's, he is very weird. He's very kind of in your face, kind of human. But then it, he says, oh, very proud of my friend so-and-so. I didn't even know the guy's name. And there he is in the Piano Forte piano concert He's like, this is a piece that I worked on that I did, you know, when I was in France doing this. And, and he's this concert, experimental concert pianist. Huh. So it maybe kind of we're like, like, oh, he's the weird, creepy guy, old, creepy guy. And I'm the weird, old, creepy guy. Like, we share our old, creepy yeah. guy at the music venue. Whereas I'm, like, looking at him like, who's this? Right? So it's yeah. kind of funny that you, like, realize, oh, no, though, he's looking at me and either saying, who's that? Yeah. Or, like, oh, my brethren and old, creepy, bald men. Why is it that what makes you creepy just age? It's just like, age. Because, like, young it's people dance age. and move around. Right. It's, it's, as soon it's, as it's age, it's weird? It's age. And it's it, what's very interesting, you know, the um, uh, you know the, the, the very cruel term that it's, that it's used on women, unfuckable. Mm. Um, it is used on men, too, but it's, it's, it's a little subtler. Um, and, but it is very interesting because there's something about also people having a sense that as you get old, your sexual identity is disappearing. So people assume that. And so you, you, and you realize, well, that's still part of me. That's still part of who I am. But it's kind of, it's weird for other people to see it. It's almost like, you remember that there's always this thing where it's like, kids be embarrassed because their parents are kissing, mm -hmm. but if they're embarrassed of their parents' sexuality, right? Yeah. Um, and they don't want to think about that. They don't want to think that their parents actually, like, screw each other. They, you know, it's too scary. And yeah. So there's something where you become, like, this weird, like, sexualized parent or something. And, and you know, I'll have often have very good, fine conversations and stuff, but there's definitely moments when I realize... I'm I'm the I'm the weirdo guy. People are wondering, oh, that must be the, one of the band players' dads. Yeah, it can never just be like I'm going to see the music. Yeah, right. So, um, so I think that in music venues, I see that. I think that in there is a way that you know, as a white old white male, um, my being silenced is appropriate, <laughs> mm -hmm. and it's okay. Um, I still feel like if I make something that's powerful, that I'll be able to find an audience for it. But mm -hmm. I, I really don't. I don't feel like the, the whole idea that like white, you know, the white voice is under siege. Um, it may be under siege to a degree, 
Um, but I, I just, I don't feel like complaining about that. I feel like if I make something that speaks to people, I'll, I'll find an audience for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do realize there are things like grants and things that are very difficult to get. But you could also just say, who's this guy? He has film. He's like, let him do it himself. He's fine. He doesn't need this push. I mean, yeah. I do need the money, but I don't, you know, I haven't gotten a grant for about nine years, ten years. Um, but I think that's okay. Yeah. Like, it's fine. Like, give it to someone else. And you're still here. <laughs> I'm still, I'm okay. Um, yeah. But I think that in terms of feeling old, I do feel, I f- do feel very engaged. I feel, still feel like, strangely enough, like, if you're trying to make something that's emotionally based and bla- based on empathy, that a 20-year-old trying to do that and a 60-year-old trying to do that is is, is the same. It's a, It feels the same, you know. I have maybe, a, I have a, I have less urgency about it, um, which is funny. Some people get urgency because they're like, oh, this is my last thing. I don't have that kind of urgency. I kind of feel like, you know, it'd be great if I this next film works and I do good. But it's if it doesn't, it's it'll be a bummer. But it's not the end of the world, you know. I, I, I made something that worked, and hopefully this thing will work, but I can't control that, like I said. Maybe it's your close encounter yeah. with death that put that into perspective. Yeah, maybe. I think so. You know, when you're 20 years old, you know, every year has been one fifth of your existence. So right. you're kind of like, you know, you're, yeah. you're, you know, you're, every year is five percent of your existence at that point, not one fifth, but five percent, one twentieth. So you're kind of like, it all matters, and you want that urgency. You want to make it. You want to start that career. You don't know what's going to happen yet. Yeah. And you're facing that from a different direction, and you had a very close call. So it's you realize what's important is life, love, the the person you wake up next to. Yeah. Your children, your two children. Very much. You know, the, the siblings you have still, yeah. those are the things that matter, not money. Absolutely. You know, the work of art. Work of, that, that stuff, is, it's gone when you're gone, but right. man, you, you still have to deal with these people in your life. You still have to have dinner and wake up and shower, Right. you know, have those conversations. Who do you talk to when you're stressed out about your work? Probably the, your partner. <laughs> it's, you know, it's funny, too. There is a, uh, I, I love um, uh, wailing songs, you know, like um, Eight Pounds Ten is a famous song where these guys are out hunting for whales and they come back home and they say, um, I wasted away three years of my life and I have but three pounds ten. But it's kind of like, it's kind of sad, but isn't everyone's bank account empty at the end of the year? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, is there some job where you're like, like, I guess while you're on the boat, you got food, you got stuff, but that's yeah. kind of how it works, unfortunately. Like, yeah. you just kind of hand them out. So, um, so yeah, so there is nothing pays you back, nothing. And, and good things can happen, but it, it is, like, in this, you know, this, this present moment is definitely uh, important and what, what's important to do. So I have a thing. We should either wrap up or I should pee and come back. What should we do? It's up to you. We could wrap up if you want. Should- it's... Two and a half hours. Oh, sure. Well, that's plenty. Did you know it was that long? I did not know it was that I long. I love it. I like not telling anyone because <laughs> I see the time and I keep track, but I don't say anything. Okay, cool. Yeah, Let, well, let's wrap it up. Yeah. Would you like to promote anything before we leave? Say your websites, different um, things people can find you I would you at? say, yeah, you can find like Instagram. I'm, I'm, I'm not very clever with this stuff. So it's Chris Sullivan Animation. Uh, I think Vimeo is Chris Sullivan Animation. <laughs> um, and then orbitkickstart.com is the Orbit of Minor Satellites, which, which I'm. It will probably be trying to hit uh, the fall festivals in 2022. Two, yeah. Um, there's a slight chance that it might be 
No, I don't think there's a slight chance. It will definitely be a slight chance. It could be the spring of 2022, mm-hmm. but, which would be, it's a weird thing as far as like there's cons and then there's a giant gap. So it's like, if you don't make, if you don't get into the cons, cons. you might as well just wait till uh, con, whatever. Um, That's a big one. It's a big one, yeah. But strangely enough, they're very supportive of feature animations. They have a history of that. Mm. Um, so Any other ones? Any other big ones you're applying? I'll, I'll, I'll Venice, play to Sundance. Sorry, Sundance, Sundance, Toronto. I'll do all that stuff, and I get many Dear Johns. But Chicago? Chicago, Chicago, definitely. I will. There's a weird thing that you have to... I will probably not... Would not do my world premiere at Chicago, but I really hope to show it. And, and I loved showing Consuming Spirits at Chicago. I would love to go to... Yeah, Chicago International Film Festival is a really nice festival. Yeah. Um, and some people don't. Um, and SEIC, once again, that's why you should give them money. <laughs> <laughs> it's always embarrassing to see DePaul and Columbia and it's like, oh, God. Why, why isn't the art institute doing it? They don't get it. They don't understand the relationship. What, what was all my tuition for? I don't know. It's kind of, it's like, <laughs> this is what people do. They say, see how it says Reebok? Yeah. Even Reebok. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, anything yeah, else? That's, 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 that's good. Thank you so much, Ben. It's been nice talking to you. Chris, thank you so much for coming and sharing your story. It's been really inspiring. So good. thank you. Good. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.